Hey everyone, I apologize for the uh, technical difficulties. We had some uh, audio issues, but we're all back online. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Greg and Cello Show. I'm Greg, he's Marcello, and uh, yeah, let's get right into it. So we're going to talk about some baseball news. Our team, the New York Mets, introduced their new manager, Carlos Mendoza. I know I, yes. I call him David all the time. For some <laughs> yeah, you reason. did. It's all right. We now I don't know, know why. it is Carlos. It is Carlos, Carlos Mendoza. Mendoza. So, he is the new skipper of the New York Mets. It's It's been a very divisive uh, reception uh, to the move. And yes, you know, us as Mets fans, we've been suffering for a very, very long time. And we just want to win. And um, it looked like we were going to get Craig Council, who, yeah, his, his postseason record isn't really that strong. Uh, however, uh, he he had a a mid-budget team in the Milwaukee Brewers and pretty much turned them into a contender every year. And it's very respectable. And so the theory is, is that we have David Stearns, who worked in Milwaukee with Council, and now he's going to come over here and make the Mets even better than what the Brewers are since we have more resources and money. Yeah. But it turned out that Council didn't want to come here at all and just use the Mets for leverage like Trevor Bauer did with the Dodgers and like a lot of people do. And they have absolutely no intention of coming here. It makes me really angry. So I'm ha- I'm happy that the Mets went with a guy that seems very enthusiastic, genuine, and genuine. He's excited to be in New York. I I, I really like the hire so far, and I could see why he he caught the attention of David Stearns. I mean, what do you think? Uh, do you like uh, this hire? Do you uh, not like it? Or of course, so lukewarm? I I think listen. First, we go back to David, you know, Stearns and the connection with Council. I mean, I thought that the connection, I thought that there would be a good shot that we would get counsel, at least initially. But then as like time started going on and more news started to come out, I kind of like just like um, uh, became like aware that like it just didn't seem like it was going to happen. No. Now him going to the Cubs just came out of nowhere. Like I thought like, okay. I feel bad for Brewers fans. Oh, yeah. I they mean, have to the be rivalry, pissed. I mean, I get Chicago. I mean, Chicago separated by I think they're an hour and a half, an hour, an hour and a half. And obviously, when the Cubs go to Milwaukee, it's always seemingly a Cubs home game. And now the Cubs, you know, they're on, they're in a good direction. The Brewers might be taking a step back next year, and it's going to be even worse next year. So I do feel bad for them, but it was a shock that he was going over there. But yeah, as you you know, as you mentioned, it just seems like everybody ends up using the Mets for leverage. And I think the Mets got a sense of that because. They, they, they absolutely um, knew. They did. Um, so it was mentioned. Somebody wrote an article. I forgot who it was, but they talked about, like you know, when going through like the interview process. Like the Mets noticed that like there wasn't, you know, like uh, the passion wasn't there. That didn't seem like there was like true interest. So that's why their offer to him was lower than. Um, you know, then most people were expecting, you know, the Mets are going to have, oh, Steve Cohen's got billions and billions of dollars. He's going to give him, he's going to give console what he wants. He's going to come here. But, you know, the Mets are not dumb. Like, they can sense, you know, if a guy doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here. And so they, you know, kind of lowballed him. Still gave him probably a good offer. But definitely lowballed him. The Cubs gave him $8 million a year, five years, $40 million. I, I bet you the Mets are probably closer to $25, 30000000 million. Because they knew, you know, well, he's not going to come here anyways. And, they probably had a, maybe got a sense that maybe there's another bigger market team closer to home, like the Cubs, that might have got involved. But maybe they didn't. Maybe they just assumed he was going to go back to Milwaukee because the Cubs already had a manager. And so when Ken Rosenthal came out with that tweet, 
well, he's not going to the Mets. You know, the Mets just hired Mendoza. But he's also not going back to the Brewers. It's already a team that has already has a manager. And so, like, I was trying to go through, like, thinking about the teams. Oh, my God, you know, is he, you know, what teams have managers that, like, might may, might have made a and mood? the Cubs really screwed over David Ross. And they he, did. And he was on that the 2016 World Series team, and he Papa, was a big he was, leader for that. Yeah, he was a Papa Ross. He was, he, or Papa Ross, Uncle Papa Ross, Uncle Ross, or whatever. He was... It, it, and he wasn't like bad. He was not a bad player. I mean, he wasn't. You know, he's a backup, but he was also had a great relationship with. Uh, I believe it was John Lester. He was basically his personal catcher, and so that was his role on the team. And he was just that clubhouse guy that you wanted on your roster. That it, it's all about the culture and teams that win World Series. They, you know, obviously they have talent, but the big thing also you can't overstate is that culture. And look at the Rangers no. this year. From all year. They had guys, and you heard in the post-game comments after they won the World Series, it was always about everybody else and not themselves. You listen to Seager, you listen to Semyon, you listen to even Scherzer, you know, even though he got he went there mid-season. He's, you so, know. he's disgusting. I know, I, I know. hate him so much. <laughs> and I won. really do. I can't believe he's a World Series. Like, I feel like whenever the Mets aren't involved, he, they're always involved. Always. Always. Like, well, every, it seems like every, every year, year, just like with the Rangers, there's always a former Met or former Ranger winning it all. So it's like they're never fully out of the picture. And if there's no former players, then it's like Coach, a rival team. Or a rival, or a rival team winning. Like, there's always yeah, even a rival some former team coaches, winning. Even former, former coach, coaches. Former coaches. Yeah, exactly. Got winning. It just like, never uh, ends. So it's any, anything surrounding the Mets, it, it always ends up coming back and, you know, they always end up winning. But... You know, so that's why it was like they had that culture. And, you know, and they faced adversity all year. I mean, they were in the division lead for a lot of the season. Then they, you know, were struggling, and the Astros were right there. Even the Mariners were right there. But then, the end of the season, last day of the year, they choked it, and the Astros won. And then we all know the comments from Alex Bregman. Oh, you know, you know, they were always saying, talking about, like, what's it going to be like if the Astros didn't win the division? I guess we'll never know. And, you know, well... They ended up losing to the Rangers in the ALCS, who ended up winning the World Series. And meanwhile, for the Mets last year, I mean, it's kind of a similar situation. You know, we had the division lead all year. We choked it away the last series of the year, basically. The second to last series. The second straight by year, Atlanta. too. I think a lot of people forget that the Mets in 21 had the division lead and, for the and, majority and if, of the season. And they gave it up majority, in the majority, but it was basically the midway point. Because yeah. the end of July... The end of July, the big series was against the Braves, and it was a five-game series at home. And the Mets, if they even if they won, well, they needed to if they won like four out of the five, the Braves would not have made a single. They probably would have traded guys away and like sold. But I think the Mets ended up winning the series. They they won three out of five, but that made the division five games. And the Braves were like, okay, listen. It's July. We're five games back. That it's is completely that yeah. doable. The Mets could have been ahead six, seven games. They could have eight games. Them. They could have ended the Atlanta Braves. And of course not. And of course, you know, <laughs> of course was, not. They won the last game of the series. The Braves are like, all right, you know, we're still in this. So we're gonna make these million trades and acquire like three, four offensive guys, some bullpen help, and that transformed the whole team. And the Mets completely just okay. We acquired Baez as like a last resort. Like they got somebody, and then we gave up a top prospect, Peter Armstrong, who was now with the Cubs, and so that's what and happened. One of the top prospects and the Mets, in baseball. Yeah, exactly. By the way. And you know, he is. And at the time, it was like. Trading Pete Armstrong already depleted. We don't really have too many outfield prospects, and we're trading one of them for Javier Baez, a rental. Now, Baez, granted, was good for us, but at the end of the day, he was the only guy that really, he was a rental, and we weren't going to keep him because his contract demands. We already had Lindor, and, I mean, 
think looking back at now, obviously he, ha he really hasn't had a good start at all with the Tigers, so that's a lot of money that would have been wasted if we had kept him. But the whole team really just fell apart, and being a part of that, I mean, I went to Miami for the series there. We lost, ended up losing three or four, uh, and then they went to Philly. I was at the first game of that series. They got swept. So, like, the season was already, like— the second game. Yeah, it was McGill the seven line was there. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. They had the back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back home runs. At the best end of, of part course, of that day the was hole. the hot dog I had. I will say Citizens Bank Park has, can make some wicked dogs. <laughs> I will say that. That 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 was the best part of the day. But, you know, the as Mets fans, we're accustomed to pain. We're accustomed to suffering. And, you know, we thought that with Steve Cohen coming in that it was going to end right away. But I yeah. think people need to realize that it's a process and that, I mean, we've talked about this numerous times um, together privately, but uh, it, it's not going to happen overnight. I, and the Wilpons have com they completely destroyed not only the reputation of the Mets, but just the organization from top to bottom internally. So I, I think that this is a great step forward where you get somebody that wants to be here. Because sometimes I feel like with the Mets, it's like the fan— like. The fans have so much enthusiasm for it, like for the Mets. We we love our team through thick and thin. We love the Mets, and you can shit talk about the Mets team and and uh, their ownership and whatever with the players, whatever you want. You can criticize anything about the Mets, but the one thing you can't you can't criticize is the passion the fans have for the franchise. We love our team, and it just seems like sometimes. And throughout past years, that the players don't have the same amount of passion and heart that the fans do for the for the team. Last year, the Mets were just kind of like, oh, we'll figure it out, whatever. Uh, we're, we're losing all these games in June, and we only have a few wins in this month. Oh, we'll figure it out. We're talented enough to figure it out. No, you have to figure it out now. Get together. The players should have gotten together and be like, listen, we have to figure this the fuck out. Otherwise, we're going to be screwed. We're playing in the NL East. We have the Phillies, who are the defending National League champions, and we have the Braves, who won the World Series only a couple of years ago. We're in a tough division, and if we don't start winning now, if we don't start performing now, we're going to be dead in the water, and that's exactly what happened. I feel like no one stepped up. And yes, I love Lindor. I love Alonzo. They better re-sign him, otherwise we're going to have some problems. We're going to beat the shit out of some people. Okay? <laughs> But it seemed like there was no leader. There was no enthusiasm. No. And I think it, it it started with Diaz going down. I think Diaz going down really That was the bad omen of the whole year. The energy away from that clubhouse and Buck didn't really and Buck didn't really seem that much into it. I mean, I was a little upset with Buck leaving at first, but I think after letting it marinate and letting it settle in, I think it made sense, with, especially with David Stearns coming in. Yes. Uh, they needed to get a younger manager. They needed. To, I love that he's Latino manager. When a lot of the Mets player core players are Latino as well. And a lot of the younger guys too. A lot of the younger guys. Yes. Francisco Alvarez, you know. I think so. it's, and I th he sounds enthusiastic, and yeah, Mickey Calloway sounded great in his press conference too, and look how yes. that turned out. So you can't really judge until the game start, until game one of one one sixty two. That's when you could officially judge. But honestly, right now, I have pretty good feelings about Mendoza. I know, me too. That's what and I was talking about. Like I, I like the vibes that he came off in the press conference. I mean, I was on a flight this afternoon, but I was listening to a good amount of it or trying to. I was watching on the SNY first on Twitter, and um, then I was able to get Wi-Fi on the plane. So then I switched over to the SNY app because it wasn't really working on Twitter. So I was hearing, just hearing. You know, he he went around like when he would like um, 
he first he mentioned his mom and he mentioned his dad. He they gave a little message to them, and for his dad he did it in Spanish because he doesn't speak English. And then he like went out to talk about like like thanking like certain people that kept to get to this point, thanking teams that gave him opportunities. You know he's been with the Yankees a good, the past few years, so he's been in New York. He knows the vibes, and he literally mentioned it during the press conference. He's like, I know the expectations. I know what Mets fans want and what Mets fans deserve. I know they want to win. They're going to be tough on you, and it's not going to be easy. But he said he's up for the challenge. And you could just hear in his voice and hear in his emotions because he got emotional several times during the press conference when talking about, you know, just the opportunity. And, like, when he got the call from David Stearns, like, he had went outside um, and he was about to play with his son, and then he got he heard the buzz. You know, he was hearing the phone ring, and it's from David. And like he went inside, and his wife's right there. You know, and Stearns tells him that he got the job, and you like his wife starts crying, and his sons come back inside, and they're jumping up and down. And it's just you get that vibe. It's like that's the kind of guy. Gives he, a fuck. Yeah, he, he wants to be cares. here. He's happy. He, you feel it, and that's the kind of guys you want. Like we talked council, like. Obviously, he was all totally in it for the money, and he wasn't going to come here anyway. The Mets went did the right thing. He saw that they really because I don't think anybody aside from Council, nobody, you know, no reporter, nobody even mentioned Carlos Mendoza as an option. I'm going to be honest; I didn't even know that he was the Yankees. But I didn't even know who he was. I didn't even know that he was the Yankees bench coach. I was like Yankees bench coach. Like I know their pitching coach, Matt Blake. I know some other coaches, but I didn't even realize yeah Rojas, who they hired for third base. I didn't even realize that he was their bench coach. So, well, that probably is a little bit louder. But, so, I think that it's, it was, I think it's going to, hopefully, again, the game's got to be played. You know, we said it with Mickey Calloway. Past press conferences, you know, started off well. And we're like, any anytime you have a press conference, I mean, you for the most part, you know, they're going to say the right things and all this. It really comes down to, first of all, he's got to build a relationship with the players. Obviously, he's coming from, you know, Across town, he's coming from another team. This is the Mets. It's different, but the players, you know, should be able to. She should be able to build a good relationship with that. Again, we talked about he's Spanish. He speaks Spanish. He'll be able to. I think that he'll be really be able to develop, communicate, and communicate Mm -hmm. with the younger Spanish players. Maybe in ways that Buck couldn't, because obviously Buck's an older guy, is more traditional. You know, obviously doesn't doesn't speak Spanish. I'd assume maybe he's no, probably picked I, I, up. I don't think Buck speaks. No, Spanish. maybe he's picked up stuff here and there just because you know being in that environment of having a lot of Latino players over the years. But I think that he, first of all, like we said, he's passionate. He's so excited. He knows where he came from. Like you know, he came from. He talked about too, like when he was deciding whether he was going to be an engineer like his dad or he was going to go into baseball, try to be a professional baseball player, had that conversation with his mom and he decided to go into baseball. And then all from there, you know, the past 30 years and now look where he is. He's the manager of the New York Mets. And the way he like mentioned that during the press conference, like you felt it. Like I felt like proud, like, wow, this is our guy now. He's one of us. He knows what it's going to take. He knows the high expectations that it is for that we have as Mets fans. Yes, we know we don't win. We really don't win that much, but we still have those expectations. It's just we haven't we haven't had the right culture. We haven't had the right. We haven't had everything click at the same time, and that's why we've just consistently been a losing organization. But now we have the ownership that's going to invest money. We have the front office. We have the leader at the top, David Stearns who knows what he's doing. He's a smart guy. Also, he grew up a Mets fan. He's proud to be here. He knows what it takes, and he knows what we deserve and what, you know, obviously he deserves growing up as a, you know, a Mets fan 
every and all of us our dream is wow we get to we would love to run get to run our team someday and he's gonna he's living out this dream right now Steve Cohen grew up a Mets fan he's living out his dream as owner of the team what all the steps are falling into place so that's why we got to give him a chance it's a process and all manager you know some of the top managers look Skip Schumacher he just won NL Manager of the Year when he was hired it was like Skip Schumacher hired to be the manager of the Marlins like Skip Schumacher's guy like played like three years ago, and he was like a first base coach, and he's gonna be manager now. And look where it came, you know, look where he's ended up. He won NL Manager Year, led the Marlins to a playoff, their first playoff, true playoff berth, you know, since their World Series. So that's why it's like the steps are falling into place. Got to continue to believe, build those stepping stones up, you know. And like I've said in the past, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. There's a lot that had to change with this organization. You know, and Buck was kind of that transition where they wanted, you know, coming off of Luis Rojas, they, they really did need, you know, a veteran voice. And for a whole year, Buck was that voice, and it, it did worked. work. But at the same time, it, it is a veteran team. It wasn't sustainable because you had a full team of, you know, veteran players, and all together, you know, everybody clicked. Everybody was playing well at the same time, and then you go to a whole year later, and then everybody was playing bad at the same time. It's like the complete opposite. opposite and you can yeah. blame Buck, you can do this or not. But for me personally, I was happy with him from him being let go. I just think that the vibes from him weren't there. He wasn't getting enough out of the players. Now, is that all on him? I mean, they're all vet- it was a whole veteran team. I mean, like, how much more do you need? But, you know, it was just completely different vibes from the previous year. And it just seemed like his energy was, like, shot from the The whole energy. Like, just listening. The whole energy, the team was shot. Yes, everything, everything was shot. So I think that it's a move that needs to be done. We have a new president of baseball operations coming in, and he's going to basically be the GM as well because Billy Epler was resigned. And so he's going to be – he's the the top decision maker, him and Steve Cohen. But Steve Cohen obviously is entrusted into David Stearns. He got his guy. He's going to make those moves. And if he he wants his own guy, he deserves to get his own guy. You know, we see some accounts on Twitter and Instagram talking about, oh, Buck should have stayed and this and that. But at the end of the day, I think the time has passed for Buck. You know, I think he should retire, honestly. And I think he still wants to, you know, get a manager job somewhere. But I just think... It's a shame that he never won a World Series, though. It is. Because, listen, say what you want about Buck, but he's been a consistently good manager for a long time. And it it, it sucks that he's never going to... Win a World Series. We thought in 22, like, this is his shot to win a World Series. But <sighs> yeah, obviously, just fell apart. his team decided to collapse on itself in September. But, you know. See, that, that's kind of the make or break. But you, like I was mentioning with Texas, Texas had the same thing happen. And then look how they completely and turned they a switch. It, and they stuck to it. Yeah. And so that's where, that's when it comes to, look who, they're, who they hired as manager, Bruce Bochy. And he's won before many times with the Giants and other teams. That's the difference between, okay, they're both veteran managers, but look, Bruce Bochy's actually won World Series. You know, I'm not, you know, going to hate on Buck, but like, you see, you see the result, you see the difference. You know, two veteran managers, two teams in similar situations really have had tough history. Not, I mean, the Rangers never won a World Series. I mean, you know, we at least blessed to have two. They're a legacy of failure. Yeah, they're more, more, more so than us. So, and they, you know, choked in back to back World Series, really were, you know, a pitch away from winning it in 2011. So they've had their f- more fair share of, you know, failures and underperformances just as we have. But they got their veteran manager who was a winner before came into here and he took he won a World Series with them. So I think that this is good for the Mets that we're going to be bringing in a guy who obviously he's coming from New York, he understands everything about that and he has a vision. 
and he has goals and he understands what it's going to take. You know, he knows it's not going to be easy. And I think, and hearing from like some comments, you know, he's been getting a lot of praise from, from Aaron Boone to Yankees players to Reggie Jackson, Mr. October. All these guys are praising the move. So, okay, you could say, oh, well, it's the Yankees. But like, I, why, if they're, they're coming out saying that like they lost this guy and they're, and you know, it, and so they lost him. He was a really good. Coach for you know, boom, everybody loved him in the Yankee the, clubhouse. You know, so I know everyone there's a big, the there's Yan- a reason. Yeah, it's on the Yankees, but the Yankees, even though they had a a bad season to their, they still were over 500. Yes, yeah, you know what of I'm course. saying. That, that's a Yankees were, bad season for you. That's a bad you. season. You know, like not like mediocre. a 65 win season. Like you know, we went through a couple of years. You know, we had 72, but still, like stuff like that. Like we're just like things like fell apart. But they didn't like bottom out. But mediocre. I guess for the Yankees, that is their bottom. That's out. like a nightmare for them. It's like they're so spoiled. It's it's like a, a mediocre season is like the end of the world. Yeah, and, exactly. And the, before that, the Yankees were in the postseason every year. So yeah, they didn't win a World Series, and I have my own issues with Aaron Boone. But the thing that you can't deny is that they have seen success. That they're a successful organization, mm-hmm. and you're getting somebody from a successful organization. And he's been a part of that, and, and he's knows. been a part of it. He's been he was a game away from the World Series. Was he? Was he? Um, before um, I say that, was he in the 2017 ALCS? Was he a coach uh, let during me that make time? Make sure Yankees. I... Uh, because that's. That's huge. Like he knows what it's like to get that close. He's been around winning teams. So that's why I'm also really excited about this. And the biggest thing for me is that he knows the New York market. For me, that's so important. I mean, we see guys throughout our sports teams that come in here and they're talented as hell, but they don't have the attitude uh, to win in New York. I think in New York, you you have to come in knowing that you're going to have a really difficult job and that people are going to be on your ass from day He was their bench one. coach. He was their bench coach for the uh, last five years. Five years. So 18. But still, in 18, they won over 100 games. In 19, they were in the ALCS as well. And they've made the playoffs every year but last year yeah. since he was there. So he's seen success. That's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I still but think I, he was in their organization, I believe. I don't. Yeah, after the 2017, yeah, he so okay. So after the 2017 season, he was promoted to their. So he was in their minor league system for up yeah. until that point, 2017. Then starting in 2018, he uh, joined their major league coaches staff as an infield coach, and he was named the bench coach. 100 games in 2019. Okay, 19. Sorry. They were in the World Series. I mean, not in the World Series. The ALCS. Yeah, they that was a that was a heartbreaker for them. That was too. a heartbreak. They still they went to the, they went to the ALCS. They got to experience October baseball. They yeah. had over 90 wins. As a Mets fan, I would take that every day. <laughs> so, as getting back to, to Carlos um, Mendoza, what I was trying to, you know, he knows the New York market. He, he understands that we as the fans expect to win. We want to win. We love our baseball teams, and Yankee fans and Mets fans, we, we expect a winner on the field, and we expect a good product, a proud product. And, and as Mets fans, I feel like we, we haven't had that in a long-ass time, and it's about time that someone comes in here and has the same passion that, that we do as fans. Yep. And I hope it, I really hope it works out. I, I, I see Mets fans online like clowning the move and because he's an unknown, but you got to understand this is the way that baseball is going. They're going for younger inexperienced managers this is just the the way the game is is progressing and fans will always make moves for the known guys even though they're out of their prime or they're over the hill whether it be a manager or coach 
or a player. That's just how they're going to be. So I don't listen to any of the noise. I look at the facts. I look what I see. What I see is a guy that's ready to come to New York. He knows what to expect. He knows the market really well. I honestly think that Craig Council would be a failure here because, not one number one, he didn't want to be here. And number two, he was in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin market. I mean, come on. My brother's a Packers fan, a Packers fan, and he tells me how Packers fans are, like, so nice compared to New York fans. Like, New York fans are brutal. It's yeah. rough. This is a rough place to play. you got to have the, a strong mentality if you want to play here, no matter who you're playing for, right? You, you have to have that, and I feel like guys have come in here because they're talented. They don't have the heart or the mindset to want to succeed here. Like, last year, I felt like Justin Verlander was just here for the paycheck. Yeah. I really felt like he was just here for the paycheck. He, there was no passion. I mean, a lot of guys that come. Yeah, from I the like Mets. the things he had to say. I mean, it's it see. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I don't, for him, I don't know. When he came here, when he signed, it seemed like he, the stuff he he was saying the right things during the press conference and how like he was. But again, yeah, I definitely I think the money was a big part of it. But with Verlander, I feel like he he truly believed that he could come here and like try to lead this team. Um, to the promised land, it just it didn't work out, and so like obviously when the Mets went to him and you know said you know their wishes if he was okay with being traded, obviously he was perfectly fine with that and going back to Houston at the top of his list. So I'm sure he definitely still had a lot of feelings left there. I mean, he won a World Series there. He was there. He got acquired in 2017, late. You know, one of the last years of the the waiver trade deadline, which yeah. now is not a thing anymore that you can make. You know, put guys through waivers with high contracts, and then be able to trade them. So now that isn't you know no longer. But that's how Verlander. It's like a giant cheat code. Though. Yeah, it was. That really it was is like a giant cheat code. You, and you just put them on waivers, and then nobody's going to claim them, and you're able to trade them, and then you trade them. And that's exactly what happened with Verlander to Houston. So he definitely had some, still had some feelings there, and he went back, and you know they fell short. But but yeah, at the end of the day, I think this is a step in the right direction for the Mets. Again, it's all wait and see how, you know, Mendoza responds and how he relates to the players, because that's the big thing. Because, you know, we have talent, you have the players, but at the end of the day, they both have to work together. And the and players have to perform. They do. The top players. They have the to. T- and I've had There's so no many excuses, arguments over point. this. The top players need to perform. Lindor, Alonzo, Marte, those guys need to be good. A lot of them just they checked out at certain points last year, which was not good to see. No, they checked out in June, in the middle of the season. They won seven. Nobody could have stepped. They no, won not one person stepped up in June. In June. Marcello. They won se- seven. Hey, that's an, that's an improvement seven over games. 2018. You know, yeah, they yeah, they more. won five. Oh, five games. Yeah, only two more. They won a couple more games with a team that had World Series aspirations. So yeah, it's it was embar- it was the an embarrassing in baseball history. Embarrassing seven month, games, so, and not a single person stepped up. You know, and that's what it's like. Oh. Well, this this guy had a great year. This guy had a great year. Well, I mean, uh, when they we, when they needed to step up the most, nobody like did. They're like the Avatar. So, when they needed the most, they vanished. Yeah, when we needed the most. He they vanished. And that's why good teams, you know, have clutch guys that Seager. Yeah, <laughs> who you know, no matter what, you know, when you need them most, they find a way. And that's why good teams end up winning the World Series, and bad dysfunctional teams like the Mets end up having to you know have a fire sale. <laughs> And basically, you know, give up on the year, which was the right thing to do because it just wasn't working out. And it, you could just see, like, everything was just falling apart. It wasn't going to end well. So they had to do that. But it just sucks because of all the expectations we had. And obviously, Mets fans deserve better. So we'll see what happens this year with Mendoza. I do have high hopes. But at the same time, I mean, I have hopes for him. I'm not 
you know, setting any expectations. No, I'm just, no you know, going with the flow. With the Mets, I'm not expecting anything, anything this year. No. Nothing. Whatever. I'm. Well, I, one thing I'm expecting, and I'm expecting to be disappointed, that they'll end up failing to sign uh, Yoshibo Yamamoto. Um, he's, I think, is a must just they because of his age. We need pitching age for pitching. now and the future. Yeah. I mean, he's 25 years old. That's a guy that you pair with Senga is going to be your two top pitchers. So that's something they have to get done. And whether it's going to, they're going to be in a bidding war with other teams, the Yankees are going to be involved. This is Steve Cohen's chance to. It would, you know, really be the first true battle with. You know, the, Yan- the Yankees, after the Steinbrenner years, the Mets and the Yankees, Steinbrenner always, you know, wanted to and ended got up being guy. on top, and he got that guy. Well, Steve Cohen wants to change the narrative and set the Mets in a better direction in the future. He needs to, if he wants that guy, he's got to be the one to Let get that guy because he's got the money. So Let me ask you a question. Do sure. You, do you think that what Brian Cashman said about Giancarlo Stan is oh, going to yeah. turn off Yamamoto? Honestly, that's a good question. So I didn't realize they did have the same agent. Then I saw a tweet because I saw – now I put it all together. The agent like came out with a comment and he mentioned like, you know, basically this is not going to help, you know, with their, you know, acquiring guys both uh, foreign and domestic. And then I was like, okay. And then I put it all together. Yeah, because one of his clients is Yamamoto who obviously is playing mm-hmm. in Japan and – it would the apply to that shifting. foreign, that foreign type of you know acquisition. So again, at the end of the day, I mean, his agent can't force Yamamoto, you know, who to sign with and not to sign with. But definitely, I think you know, in the negotiation process, this you know kind of gives an upper hand to other teams, other teams involved. I mean, Cashman's been unleashing this whole offseason, and I think he's feeling the pressure because this is now. The past couple of years, I mean, he knows, he hears the fire Cashman chance at Yankee Stadium. They've happened. I heard them. I see, you know, Yankee counts on Twitter, you know, and the bleacher creatures starting them, you know, getting everybody to chant it. I mean, they're frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. He feels it. I mean, he's been with the Yankees organization since the late 90s. So it's like it's been him, only him. And then the stuff coming out, how the Yankees, like, analytics group is one of the smaller now in the MLB after, you know, 10, 11 years ago, the Yankees were near the top of that. How, you know, how now 11 years later, basically every team has surpassed them in that regard. So there's a lot, you know, everybody's feeling the pressure. So, especially Cashman. So he's going to, he's saying, he's not holding back. He's saying everything, whether this means, you know, it's going to affect how they go about their business in the offseason, whether guys are going to be more willing to go there or more willing not to. We're going to find out. You know, Yamamoto, I don't know. He's going to be posted soon. I don't know how quickly he's going to sign. Most likely probably not too far after he gets posted. Teams are going to be right there in bidding for him. And I really, 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 really hope the Mets are able to snag him. If not, it's already going to be another another disappointing start to the offseason. And people are going to start to get, you know, Frustrated, so the Mets—they gotta make—they—they they gotta want that guy. They gotta get that guy, and he right now I think is the guy for them to get. And yeah. they cannot fall short. Hopefully, that. Kodai can help us out a little bit here. I really hope so, uh, because the Mets—the Mets' top priority besides signing Alonso to a long-term deal is in free agency—is to get Yamamoto. He's like that. I mean, think about it. The rotation would be. Um, at the top, we Kodai and Yamamoto. That's yeah. like a great one-two punch, and they're they're younger guys. I mean, Sanga's in, in his early thirties, but still, like he's got a good like decade of pitching in him. And how old is Yamamoto? He's around the same 25, age. Twenty-five. Wow. So yeah, even he's got even more years on uh, to for him to look forward to. 
So the the Mets need to, to go after Yamo. That's the bottom line. They need, cause, and I also think that they should go after Cody Bellinger, who the, I've I think a lot the of Yankees people say go. that the Yankees are, I think the Yankees are trying to get him. But him. I think that they should go after him, too, because last year the Mets, one of their biggest problems was DH. power at the DH spot. Yeah. Uh, da- listen, Danny Burgers, <laughs> he's a fan favorite. I, nah, I enjoy Danny Brandy. Burgers, but let's be real here. He's not an everyday Danny Burgers. player. He's not he, Daniel Vogelback is not an everyday major league. No, he's a pinch hitter. I would be fine with him coming off the bench, but that's one thing I agree with Buck on that he did not want to start him, no, and he was he basically forced by Billy Epler because Epler made the trade, and trade at the time him was like a mistake. Shit. Traded Colin Holderman, yeah. uh, you know, a few, could have been a future staple in this bullpen, even though he had some struggles with Pittsburgh. But the talent is still there, and he's young, controllable. The Mets completely fucked up by trading Colin Holderman for Daniel Vogelback. And, you know, Epler was trying to validate it by, you know, continuing to play him, play him, play him, you know, acting like that wasn't going to change anything. Everybody's minds. We we see, we saw he was just, he was not good. So that was a mistake from that. It was ab- absolutely a mistake. And I think he Epler was stubborn. It was like, nah, like, you know, you have to play this guy because this is like my big trade of of the 22 deadline, which is pathetic if you ask me. Like, the, getting Daniel Vogel back, like, that's your guy, that's your big acquisition of the 2022 trade deadline. Like, you couldn't do any better than him. And I understand, like, a lot of teams were wanting the Mets to to pay more than they should because I I personally do think that a lot of MLB owners do not like Steve Cohen because he's, he's genuine. A lot yeah. of MLB owners are stingy with money, and they're running it as a business. Steve Cohen, for him, this is like a side hustle, really, yeah. right? He's he's doing this because he wants to. He's not doing it because he's in the business of owning a baseball team. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of executives around the league resent the Mets organization, and definitely Major League Baseball resents uh, the Mets organization as well. They they named the rule the Steve wrong. Cohen tax. Yeah, that Steve was Steve Cohen tax. It's bullshit. bullshit. A lot, all this bullshit um going on. Uh, so I understand why Epler couldn't do more. But I also am a believer of folding when you have a bad hand. And I've said this many, many times before. The You know, Vogelback, he's batting 200. Like, bench him. Bring up Vientos. Imagine if, if Vientos, I think if Vientos maybe had a full season under his belt, he could have been better throughout the stretch and maybe even next year get even more experience. And admitting when you make a mistake, and just in life in general, it's, just, it's, it's really important. And so yeah. I, I do think the Mets need to get a new DH. And now, if it, whether it's homegrown, whether Vientos comes up and and is that DH, or they go out and get like a, a Cody Bellinger-like player, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's another important um, move that the Mets need to make that I feel like a lot of people are overlooking because of Yamamoto's out there. But I think that's like... Not even number two need. I think that's one B because I think it's equally as important because the Mets lineup last year at times was just they couldn't hit a beach ball. Oh, it was awful. They couldn't I mean, hit a beach ball. They'll score like seven runs one game and then you know get two hits the next. Like that it's just not sustainable. Toronto, they scored no like they scored like no runs. Oh, that they was scored, awful. They were nothing. My birthday weekend, disgrace. And Frank Fleming, I don't know if I've said on here before, but that was that Saturday. My birthday game it was the introduction, induction of Darling and was it Darling and Cohen both into the, the Mets Hall of Fame and you know I saw him at the end of the game and he basically said like this is going to be the, this is the start of the June swoon this is the June start swoon. of the you know yep. the season collapsing and he was 100% right. Was right even I was like well I mean I, I knew that there was probably going to be a little bit of struggles but I thought they would like find their way out of it no they I mean they could, it was just as bad 
and even worse than 2018 because of the expectations <laughs> yeah. and the talent on this team. If, yeah, so it, I was was it was a complete disaster. Even though they were worse, like, record-wise in 2018. Yeah. I mean, 2018, going into that season, I, my expectations I had, were wild card. Like, I yes. wasn't really expecting, like, I mean, the 11-1 start, was like got my hopes up and again, oh yeah then bringing back I mean, of like, course they had to do that like start off 11 and 1 and Cespedes is back and he's back to his old self and he's uh, best friends with Todd Frazier like everything's coming Todd together Father, finally yeah, everything, yeah. but no of course not I mean what did you think was going to happen and they win five games in June is a disaster of a month but Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse yes but the you know they still had the Will Ponds and there was a bunch of other stuff going on but last year it was like coming off a 100 win season you get Scherzer, you get Verlander, um, you almost get Correa. Like the fact that they almost got him is the fact that the Mets are, are here to win, and they're 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 not playing around. They're not fucking around anymore, and it's just like this is just the same old Mets. Like this is the same shit that we've been dealing with for our, our entire lives of our fandom. The, the yeah. same nonsense, the same garbage, the same bad play, the the same just nonsense and the the stuff behind the scenes that goes on. And so, yeah, last year, just throw it out, get it out of there. And I'm hoping that 2024 is better. I mean, my expectations are wild card. My expectations are high 80s, low, low 90s. And the Diamondbacks made the World Series with 84 wins. So anything's possible. The Mets can go on a run. They have the talent to do that. But the question is, is that do they have the leadership and do they have the passion and do they want to do, do that? The Diamondbacks, it. they got to want it. They have to want it. They have to want it. And that's the important thing because the talent is there. They have some of the best guys in the league at their respective positions. They have to make the right moves in the offseason, and then they have to want it. They have to, I have to see that passion, and when I see that passion is when I'm going to get excited. And I, that's that's my take on on the whole thing with the Mets and the, and the hiring of Carlos Mendoza and the outlook for the 2024 season. So, let's move on to hockey. How about them Rangers, baby? Oh, unbelievable! unbelievable. The Rangers are rolling. They are rolling. Their official record is eleven two and one. They defeated the Columbus Blue Jackets four three in a shootout. Lexi Lafreniere, what a t- what a turnaround this guy has had. He had it took him. F- what, 46, 47 games to score, to score seven goals? He's got seven goals already. Yep, seven, seven goals, goals four assists, 11 points. Played. Look at the connection with Panarin. has just been him and Panarin have been unbelievable together. Now Laugh has the confidence, and that's what we said the past couple of years. He needed the he confidence. confidence. Same thing with Kako, same thing with all these guys. And that's why that's we were so, I was so happy that we were able to get rid of Gallant because it just seemed like, he didn't let these guys open up and be, you know, the type of player we were hoping and we well, really they should have should be because they were high, you know, talented number picks. Number one, number two. So there's no reason why yeah. you know they shouldn't have been given the chance to succeed, and they were kind of shuttered, you know, and like all shuttered and pushed down, and they weren't allowed to open up. And now Panarin, I mean Panarin is phenomenal. I know people talk about him having to be traded. I mean. We'll see. He's got to show up, and you know, in the playoffs, because that's when obviously when it matters. But I've I've loved him since he's been here. We really haven't had a player like him in a long time, since Yager. Since really, Yager, yeah. you know, the guy he scores, he makes plays happen. He's a force on the power play. Every he does everything. He's always there. And I think last year he just kind of got a little bit lazier. And I think this year you see a different Panarin. He's still productive, but he's also more. 
He's more defensively minded. Like he'll see him go back and back check. Like yeah. he's not just His that lazy kind of player. Existent last year. I mean, yeah, we were watching the game. When, when were we watching the game? Were we, was it when we were in Minnesota? Or I feel like we were watching the game together. And we were, and I remember saying to you, "I'm like, man, like look at Panarin on the on the back." I feel check. like it was in Minnesota. It wasn't. Yeah, it was in Minnesota. It was. I, I, I ended up making a comment. I'm like, yeah. I've never seen Panarin like actually do work on the back check. And you know, I I give Panarin I gave Panarin some leeway the past couple of years. It's like, oh, like that's not the style of player he is but I, I seeing him do that I'm like this is like this is what I want to see and like I want to see him help in other areas that maybe he's not the strongest at but I think as a as an NHL winger that like that's like you should be doing this work on the back but check. that's how and that's how great teams are built because from top to bottom no matter how much you're getting paid 12 million dollars 10 million dollars 5 million dollars 100 you know not 100 I mean a million dollars 800K, whatever, that from top to bottom, everybody is built into that system, built into that defensive system where, you know, you're going to get down and block shots. The amount of t- I mean, the Rangers got to be up there and block shots. I haven't checked the official numbers. I can go find that right now. But they every game, it seems like, you know, guys are getting down blocking shots. The goaltending's been great. They've been given, you know, a chance. And even, I mean, Igor was like, he wants to see more shots because the guys are just like, you know, blocking so many of them because they bought into that system. And it comes down from the coaching, which we said, which people say that coaching doesn't matter. This, oh, Gallant's fine, all this. You know, they've got 110 points, whatever. You it see, matter. it does matter, and it's making a difference. And then even the offside stuff, like there was a, a practice a couple of days ago. He brought out like players' family and their their I mean, their, uh, their families and their kids, and they brought them onto the ice for during practice or after practice for like a skate, like little stuff like that. Like he understands, you know, a lot about this team and how and he's building up that culture and everybody is coming together and you see they all play for each other they want to win together last year it just seemed like everybody was playing for themselves there wasn't that unity because Gallant as we said he didn't have an organized system and he just kind of let guys be themselves and the guys were just there wasn't a there connection. Wasn't connection. There wasn't yeah. togetherness and you see that now and like they, they all they lo- they love each other they want to play for each year. other Oh I yeah, hundred percent. Because the Devils, listen, th- in the first round, I listen. The Devils—they're young a great team, team, anyways. Like we should have beat team. them, but because we yeah. didn't have a system, you know, young young teams can, you know, if you are a disciplined team that has this organized way of playing, you're not getting beat to a young team like that. But because the Rangers were so out of whack and they were so inconsistent, the Devils, even as young as they were, because they had so much talent, they were able to take advantage and you know go through the little, you know basically go through the cracks that were there and they take advantage of that because that's how those teams do that's the only way you're going to be able to do that if you're a structured team a young team that hasn't been there is not beating you and so that's why the carolina hurricanes handle them in five games that literally proves right there i and i just i literally haven't said this point before but just thinking about it now makes so much sense the rangers had so many cracks that even though they had so much talent a young team can was able to break through those cracks because we had no structure. And and now we have that structure. And, you know, you're not losing to a rookie team, a team that's just getting there. And you, you see how the difference in the teams have been playing this year. The yeah. Rangers have been playing amazing. The Devils have been up and down, well, up and down injuries. And now, of course, he's going to play most likely on Saturday. Did you see that? He's most Of course. I mean, he's, he's also going to be uh, – you know he's going to be managed. He's going to be on a pitch count. Which it's it's expected that Jack Hughes is the franchise guy for yes. for the Devils. But also, I, I mean the Devils last year. 
they didn't really impress me in the first round. Like, they didn't play extremely well. It's just that the Rangers were so disorganized and they played so horribly that the Devils just, just all they had to do was be on autopilot and they would have beaten them. Yeah. Right? Like, they would have beaten them. And I think you're seeing the difference this year. The Devils have been up and down. Uh, they're not horrible, no. but they're seven five and one. And they only have fifteen points. I mean, it's early though. I mean, they'll definitely year, gear it in. But I no, mean, they're going to gear it in. I, I, I have no doubt that the Devils are going to. Uh, the Devils are going to pick it up, especially with when Hughes is back and fully and he healthy. He sure now just went on the IR, but they so do have get him they, back. they do have weaknesses. Yes, they have weaknesses, which is goaltending. Oh they yes, they need a real goaltender. Oh yes, they need a real goaltender there. Uh, because you can't, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup with Vitek Vanacek uh, and and Akira Schmid. Yeah, I have some. I was looking at these stats from Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter. A bunch of like analytic type stats. Like, um, no, nah, I don't know where the picture is. I thought I saved it, but um, basically, it you know, like that just basically shows that like goaltending wise, I think the devil. Where is it? Special teams. Yeah, these guys posted posts a lot of stuff. Goal differential above expected. Um, goal saved above expected. So right here, the Rangers were uh, fourth, plus 7.9 goal saved above expected. And that's with Igor not even be fully, being fully healthy this year. I mean, Quick has been the starter for what now, four games? And yeah. Qu- Domingue started he one. Start Louis Domingue last and Quick even started you know, a couple games before that. So yeah. he might even have as many or even close to more games than Igor right now because he's been hurt. And then the yeah, the mink started one, and the Devils are there minus five goals saved above expected. So that just shows right there, goaltending is a big fact. And then coming into the season, you know that was the talk with the Devils: do they ha- is the goaltending enough? Oh, Schmid, you know he looks so good against the Rangers, but we didn't even test him. They we didn't even shot, test him. They literally shot in his chest. Like every I time, mean, and it pissed me off. I'm like, this guy sucks. Exactly. Why are you Take not shots. Him? They didn't challenge him I can't one bit. They didn't oh my challenge. god, it was brutal. It was brutal. And being in in New Jersey for games five and seven, seven watching that, that in must person, have been hell. Oh, it was intended, game seven. Yeah. Was game seven was. One of the worst like experiences I've had at a sporting event. You know, it, it was downright depressing just because, you know, I mean, one thing you're at home, it's at the Garden, which I I've been in an elimination game at the Garden, it was, Game Six against the Senators. Game, it's sort of a home. It game. was. I think there was more Ranger fans in Game Seven than the previous games. I was at Game One. There was a lot of Ranger fans, but I think there was more blue. I saw more blue seemingly in Game Seven. We had nothing to cheer about before the game, though. The warmups. There's a lot of us already down, like next to the Rangers bench on the glass. We were getting "Let's Go Rangers" chance going. Devils fans are booing. You know, we were into it. We we were excited, and the team just completely did, just did not show up and embarrassed us. And so the Devils fans had the last laugh that night. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, bank them. Yeah, I mean, if I'm the home team, if it's at the Garden, and we beat the Devils. Yeah, I'm gonna shit on the Devils fans that are there. But I mean, at the Garden, there's what like five Devils fans yeah. coming during the playoffs because no, you know, no Devils fans really come to the Garden anyway, especially during the playoffs when tickets were like $300, they were not showing up. So, but it's like, it was it was bad. So it definitely was hell and just leaving, you know, you hear thing, you know, you hear the chanting and everything and it's just, it was it was a really low sucks. moment as a Ranger yeah, fan. And until, and until, you know, till the start of the yeah, season and even sucks. a little bit into it, like that's why, you know, we had our pregame, not pregame, like our preseason predictions and I was like very down. I was like, 
cautiously optimistic, but kind of more pessimistic. I was like, I don't know how this is going to be. I'm not expecting anything. I don't want to get my hopes up. I mean, it's still early, but like this is a completely different team than what we saw last yeah. year. So that's why I do now have more hope. I mean, I'm not going to be not completely changing my opinion. I'm not going to say anything on how they're going to end. Oh, this team is amazing. You know, they're going to go win the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's my hope. I hope like that's the, that's what's in the script. You know, whoever writes those scripts, you know, up there, whoever's writing them, please write down New York Rangers 2024 Stanley Cup champions. You know, that would be, that's our dream. That movie script. I wouldn't mind that either. So let's, I mean, we hope that it ends up that way. We still got a long, long season to go, yeah. but. You see, you know, this, everything is moving into place with how the team is playing. We're without, we've been without Igor, Fox, and Hedl for a week now, and... They're playing like they don't even, like, like they're not even on the team. Like, that's no. insane. And when we get those guys back, I mean, Oh, look my out. God. Yeah, look out. And I, I wanted to say this, like, it also sucks, like, what even, sucked last year yeah. was that to Devils fans, beating the Rangers is their Stanley Cup. Like, well, they they admitted it. The Devils even admitted it. Yeah, like, that was their Stanley Cup. They had literally admitted it. pathetic. I think it's pathetic. Like, ooh, you beat the Rangers. Like, congratulations. You didn't win the Stanley Cup. You still got knocked out in five games. Like, congrats. You didn't even play that well in the seven-game series. You just took advantage of a Gerard Gallant team <laughs> His, implosion. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we went up 2-0, and the Rangers did absolutely nothing to defend their lead at home. And there was no adjustments made, as we said. I mean, the Devils adjusted. You know, it was a tough two first games for them because they're a young team. They hadn't been in the playoffs. They were kind of had to get their feet wet. And then they were able to turn it around. The Rangers just had nothing to offer against that. And that's why we didn't really have any serious chances on net. We didn't test Schmid. We, we just didn't do anything. So it was... Just think that's why, like I said, to this point, I mean, I was really down about the Rangers. I was really depressed about, you know, the prospects of the team. I didn't know, you know, I was hoping for the best with uh, Laviolette, but, you know, obviously I was like, you know, talking about all these same old recycled coaches, you know, this always happens. Is this even going to work out? But, you know, it happens a lot, too, with these kind of coaches. The first year always seems to be good. But we'll see how, you know, as we continue to go on and then how it finishes. Hopefully it finishes with the Stanley Cup, and then I don't care what happens next yes, season. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully... Hopefully he can be our coach for not just two years, three years. You know, hopefully for around that time, you know, because he is older, so who knows if he's going to retire anytime soon. But hopefully he's our guy for a long time because that's, you know, you that's how you know, like, teams that are, you know, consistent winners. I don't just also don't want to be, like, a one-and-done team. I want to – because this was the hope by rebuilding and building a young core was that Maybe we would be able to be competing for Stanley time, Cups, yeah. you know, many, many years and hopefully mm -hmm. winning one – me too, you know, multiple. Three, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot to ask, obviously, considering you know, we're a team that doesn't win. Just, yeah, just a one and done, and that's it. And they should have won more after that. Yeah. There's a lot of it's reasons why it didn't work out. But <laughs> that, we, yeah, we can do. We can. We could do a whole other episode. Other show, I mean, yeah, it's on, like on the '86 Mets and why they should have won more World Series. But no, I totally agree. Uh, I'm impressed with Peter Laviolette, but I think the the thing is also like if you look at the Gerard Gallant and Laviolette's track records, right? Listen, Gerard Gallant. He's not the worst coach in the world, right? No, he, he's not David Quinn. He's not I guess. David Quinn, um, but what he has done is that he's not consistent. You're not. He's a guy that he's a bridge coach. He's like Buck Showalter. Like you're not. Yeah. Gonna, you're not gonna. He's not gonna be your long term solution. And if you've seen his previous jobs with Damn. Florida and with Vegas. They yeah, the that. points are there. Like he's been successful on paper, and that's why analytics and stats are the only are not should not be the only facet 
of uh, of deciding whether you're going to trade somebody, keep somebody, or hire or fire a coach, you have to take into account the human aspect as well. Okay, you, that, like that, it's so important, and and the human aspect of last year's Rangers team is that they were not bought into Gerard Gallant's philosophy and system at all. And that's why he needed to go. Yeah, they had over 100 points. When you have that talented team, I think anybody could get over 100 points with the amount of talent the Rangers had last year. Unless it was a complete outright complosion like the Mets had, which, I mean, could have happened. Yeah, it could. But but there's too much talent, and goaltending-wise, Igor was was not let that happen. Igor wouldn't let that happen. I, I, I don't think that... I think that's a very, very rare scenario, but it's. Just, but it was not a look, team that was going to win a cup. Yeah, it was not a team winning the cup. But if you look at Laviolette, Laviolette's won a Stanley Cup, and other than Washington, I'm pretty sure that he's been to a Stanley Cup final with all of the teams that he's coached. Right? Uh, I'm going to check that real quick, but the fact that he's been on Stanley Cup, that he's been on the Stanley Cup final. Uh, birth teams, it, that's a big deal for me. Uh, so he won the Stanley Cup with Carolina, Carolina yeah. in 05-06, in, in the post-lockout year. Uh, the, the Phillies' a magical run uh, to the Stanley Cup final in 09-10, he was the coach. And Nashville's magical run in 16-17, he yeah. was the head coach as well. And then Nashville went on to win the President's Trophy in 17-18. Yeah. And they won 53 games with 117 points. And they were consistently good for a long time. And I don't think that was necessarily his Laviolette's fault that they fell off because yes. Weber was getting older and the yeah. core was just starting to change. Uh, that's just that's just a cycle of sports itself. Uh, that's not on him at all. Uh, and part of, I was seeing even like Predators fans like saying like they're still mad that he was let go and John Hines came in. John Hines is he's another he's not good either. So no. And yeah, you see the diff, and you see the difference in the Rangers' play. Like this is a guy with a proven track record versus a, versus Gallant, who's, who's unfortunately he's bounced around a lot. And yeah, he is. Who well, he now is. you think he's going to get? Re- I mean, this will be the test. Let's see if he gets rehired soon, or if another team brings him in, or like how long it takes. Because this will be the test. I mean, now I think you can see around the like teams. I mean, I don't think would rush to hire him. Per se, unless maybe they're in that kind of bridge period, if they had just fired somebody, maybe they bring him in as an interim just to kind of see like change things. But like for long term, no, he's not that kind of guy no. because they see bounce around in Vegas one year, two years in Florida, and now the Rangers. So uh, he's not going to be a guy that sticks around. But I, I, the only thing I see is like if a team fires their coach midseason, maybe they hire him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Oilers just fired their coach Jay Woodcroft, and they brought it. They hired. Chris Knobloch, oh, wow. who I mean, I wa- I would love to have seen you know what he would do with the Rangers because he kind of he was the coach for a lot of the younger guys in the AHL. You know, I would like to give him a chance. He Philly nine like, nothing during the COVID oh my god, yeah, I'm, that was crazy. Yeah, he was that's he was the guy. He was the guy. He but was the guy. you know, we got a lot of you like he's our guy right now, and I have some hope you know and faith with him. So that's I think I I think you know things continue to move on this season. You know, we'll see more how the team continues to, you know, play. But right now, I'm loving everything that they're doing, even when the refs, as usual, try to screw yes, us, I which to we talk can about that we can today. get into that now yeah. because that was a shit show. Uh, I mean, I wasn't didn't watch the complete game, but I 
that so I missed the first like call questionable call because I was out watching the Jets, which I want to get to talk about the Jets too. Yeah, we'll talk after about this. football next. But, I don't have much to add with football, but I know you have a lot to say. Yeah, I got to talk about I some don't stuff. Have much just to add as usual. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to. Nonsense. Don't worry. Yeah, but but that's what the first call about the Truba the penalty on Truba, and then the second one with with the goal being this line. We'll get into all that stuff. So I mean, you can start. Yeah. It. So um, Sunday night was a game that's one of the most memorable uh, Rangers victories that we've seen in a long time. Beautiful. Uh, last year, that was a game that they absolutely would have lost. Uh, there's no question about it. Even two years ago, which even though, even though the Rangers went to the Eastern They were Conference the comeback final, kids that year. I mean, yeah, they did come back a lot. I don't know. Because like, even last year, they had some like crazy late comebacks. But like just the way... the Stars and against uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, they, they, yeah, they, they had did. a few good wins there. But I think this is a game, I, I, you know, for some reason... Um, Columbus just loves they actually the dom- It's not like we got lucky. Like, we dominated third, yeah. and, you know, and they also, you know, basically were getting screwed. We got screwed, yes. So, I want to talk about the NHL as a whole. The NHL as an, as an organization is horrible, uh, and I love hockey. It's my favorite sport. The Rangers, uh, I love all my sports teams mm-hmm. equally. Um, even the Giants? E- even the Giants, yes. They're, they're like the they're like the, the uncle that you know is messed up. But you love them anyway because they're part of your family. I love yeah. all my sports teams, but for me, the Rangers—they're number one for me. They take priority over all of them. Um, if I would actually, you know, if I would have to rank them, it'd probably be Rangers, Mets, Giants, Nets. Okay. But I think there's a little bit of a of a drop off between the Giants and, and the Nets. Nets. Yeah. <laughs> because the Nets are just—I don't know—they're they're also just if lucky. Um, but getting back to the NHL, yeah, Thomas though. Cam Thomas, yeah, but he's been hurt. And of course, Ben Simmons got hurt again. Just, just usual, just usual, not same old nonsense with my teams. <laughs> <laughs> but at the NHL, they don't market their star players. No, uh, they, they don't, don't market big they events. Don't, they don't market big events. They have they're partnered with a network that does not give a flying fuck about them. And ESPN, they don't care. Even Stephen A. Smith, who's their who's their top paid, their top paid talk show host said hockey that's not a real sport i mean <laughs> to, to talk about the rangers who was a franchise of the second most valuable team in the nhl worth mm-hmm. over two Toronto million dollars and in my opinion i know you're a knicks fan own the garden i'm sorry the knicks have been pathetic for over 20 years mm-hmm. the rangers for we give them shit because we're fans and we, we I, I, I despite that we love them they have been more successful than the knicks so for me they own the garden. They are yeah. they that this is their building. This is their building. All the great moments we've had over the years. That's yeah, why that's garden. why it has to end up in a cup, hopefully this year, please. God. Okay. So please. and I know that Stephen A. Smith is a diehard Knicks fan. The Rangers own your building. So I just <laughs> wanted to say that. And the NHL just they've been making moves like I don't know how the the coyotes are still there. It's like it's like watching your your relative on life support, and you're just trying to do everything you can just to keep them alive. It's like it's over. They're playing in the college arena. Yeah. Like how how do you let that happen? And they still it's not even they they announce like a sellout, which is forty six hundred seats, but they never full. It's never really filled unless they're playing like a top team. Like if the rain, like but even then, I remember there was even empty seats. Like it's sad they can't even it truly fill up a college Austin arena. Matthews came from Arizona. If it wasn't for the Coyotes, he wouldn't exist yeah. as a hockey player, right? Um. And also, we have to talk about the fucking Chicago Blackhawks. The, the, Unbelievable. The, the scandal, which was oh, yeah, we didn't... handled so poorly. And yep. I think it might, and this might be a hot take, I think it was handled worse than the Astros cheating scandal. Yeah. Because the Astros cheated, 
but there was a crime committed. Like, cheating in baseball, like, obviously they're scumbags and they should be punished. I mean, they did but punish that's a, some, a game. Well, they're weekly, but they punished, like, you know, the manager. And they banned them for a year. There was a crime committed. Yeah. The NHL did nothing because the Blackhawks are one of their golden organizations. They're an original 16. They've been around for almost 100 years. And what do you know? They get Connor Bedard, which that first round pick should not have even existed. Exactly. Because they covered up a sexual assault scandal. And now another player came out just, you know, a couple weeks ago. Exactly. It's like unbelievable. Meanwhile, you know, you see other teams getting first round picks stripped for stuff, which obviously were bad stuff that happened and against the rules in the NHL, like the Senators, you know, not providing the correct list, no trade list of a certain player getting that and off. But like like you said, this is an actual crime. This is like a crime. this is this and it's disgusting how it all happened and how nothing was said. And I mean, listen, understand. Okay, well, I don't not that I understand. Like, okay, you, your goal, you know, your goal is to win the cup, but at the same time, you have a kid, a young kid, he's literally suffering, and you and you keep that coach in power, that trainer, he's there, and that he's got to suffer through that. I mean, how do you how, it, do you, how yeah. do you do that? Like, how do you just let that happen? That? How do you think it felt for Kyle Beach when he he saw that same coach lift the Stanley Cup? Yeah, and it's like, it's like that that's that matters more than you know what you you know. Thank God, you know, obviously it seems to be a little bit better now. But like guys, he could he could have committed suicide. You know, he could have he could have been that low. I'm sure he was that low, but he he thought about you know like he still had a lot more life ahead and he wants to tell a story and prevent this kind of stuff from happening. But we see guys who let the worst get the best of them, you know, Derek Bougard, stuff like that. Like, like these things do happen. And the fact that they just pushed it aside and covered it up is just disgusting. And Chicago gets rewarded with, you know, one of the top picks of this, you know, decade, but one of the best first round, first overall picks, you know, one of the great talents. And he's been unbelievable. And, of course, it's got to be Chicago of all teams to get him. Yeah, Chicago. So last night, I mean, not last night, two nights ago, uh, was just further example of this. So I'm going to play a, a few clips uh, from, I'm actually, no, I'm going to play a couple clips, one from Sunday night and the other one from a couple weeks ago. So this was the hit on Ryan Lindgren, um, which I, listen, the no the no call goal, listen, the Rangers never get those close calls. And that was horrible. The puck was clearly in the back of the net. They didn't blow the whistle and they screwed him over and they won the game. So that's like... That doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, that call doesn't really matter. But this does because Ryan Lindgren is one of their top defensemen. So I want to analyze this clip here. Uh, Watch, um, hold on. We're going to, this is, so this, this clip uh, isn't, isn't playing the whole thing. It's like much longer, I guess, because they're showing the review. But I want to show you this hit. Here it is, yeah. So. Lindgren doesn't have the puck, right? And I'm going to play it at I'm going to play it in slow motion. Because I think this really needs to be analyzed in the f- the complete failure the NHL showcased on Sunday night. So look, Deming has the Happens puck. Happens far too much. Deming has the puck. He gets it to Lindgren, but then Lindgren gets rid of it. He does not have the puck. He's out of the play. He is out of the play. He's yep. not involved in the play. And this isn't finishing your check. And then look, Elbow up. Elbow. He elbows him in the face. Elbow. This is a player who has injury the... history. Lingren has had in history well, with because injuries. Because guys go, guys go after him because he's a tough player. He's a tough, hard-nosed player, and he gets completely battered game after game. He's got to leave games. He comes back. It's just it's unbelievable how much eaten alive he gets. It's, um, it's just, Look at this. So it's look, disgusting. 
See, th- okay, I, I have to contain myself because as a former hockey player, and you're a former hockey player yes. too, at the end of the day, look, I hate the Devils, I hate the Islanders, I don't like the Penguins, I don't like the Flyers, I don't like the Capitals, Caps. I don't like the Lightning. But at the end of the day, hockey is a brotherhood, and we're there for each other. And th- when I see this type of shit, and it's paused right here, and you know, for you guys that are listening, you can't you can't see it obviously. But if you watch the game, I, you I know what we're talking about. I highly recommend uh, you guys go on YouTube and and, and really analyze this. Uh, but we'll go over it for you. His elbow is makes direct contact with, with his, his head. The puck is here. He's not involved with the play, and his head's behind the boards. I've gotten hit like this. It's dangerous. This shit can kill you. Mm-hmm. This can kill you. Okay, this is this should not be a part of our game. Period. End of story. And they don't throw him out of the game. They give him a, what, a two minute minor. No, well, he so he got they they had initially gave him a five minute major boarding and you know and, and um a match penalty and they redu- they reviewed it and they reduced it For to why? two minute. Why? I, it's just, I I don't understand. It's I, clear con. This is what Toronto does. What we're doing is exactly what Toronto does. They get on their little headset, yeah, they, they watch they a fucking screen, and they see the play. What I'm seeing is that you have a defenseless player who's not involved with the play. You could see right the, the puck in the in the corner right he there, the and puck. his elbow is hitting him right in the face. Mm-hmm. I don't and understand the how a sensible human being can watch this play. And not call, like not throw this motherfucker out of the game. I don't understand it. And yet I'm more, I'm emotional about it because one, I'm a Rangers fan. Obviously, I love Ryan Lindgren. He's one of my favorite players on the team. But also because I used to play hockey. And and these type of players and this type of scumbag moves is what gets people hurt. Yeah. And that's why I'm so irritated because once again, I'm a former player. I was a a Lindgren type player. I played rough. I got dirty in the corner, so I got hit a lot like this. Mm-hmm. And that, this is one of the reasons why I stopped playing because I couldn't take it anymore, and that's why I'm so emotional when I saw it on like transpire. I'm getting emotional right now. When I saw it transpire on Sunday, it just it, I got so angry. Yeah. Because this should not be allowed in their game. I mean, look at this. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so obvious. And then his head goes whiplash right into the boards, and he's down. Okay, he so it's so obvious. This is the most obvious five-minute major penalty should be thrown out of the game. He should, I, honestly, in my opinion, he should be suspended for two to three games. In my opinion. This is textbook. Yeah. And yet people are going to come at me, oh, you're a Rangers fan, so you have Jacob Truba on your team. Yeah. Okay, you want to go over Jacob Truba? Let's go over Jacob Truba. And you know what? I'm going to go over his most controversial hit, which is against Sidney Crosby. And by the way... All, all of Jacob Truba's hits are clean. clean. He is yeah. a clean player. Yeah, you might not like him because he takes out your star players, your star, your team star player. But you know what? They're clean. They're clean. Okay, so let's look at let's let's take a look at the Jacob Truba hit in the in the twenty one twenty two first round series. Okay, and this was the turning point yeah, for the, the in the series. Because yeah, Cro- am I, yeah, Crosby goes out, and I don't think the Penguins. I think I don't think the Rangers win this series. Oh no, hundred percent. If you look at, so we're just gonna skip a little bit ahead here. So this is what happens. So Crosby first of all has his head down, and I, listen, as a player, the first thing they teach you to do in how to hockey one on one is to keep your head up. You yeah. should never 
Never have your head down. In a Never. And this position. is a player cross. And I understand, like, look, the puck took a weird bounce, as you could see before. The the puck. So he's trying to Cryer control kind of it. flipped it, and he tried to control it, and he puts his head down to kind of look at the puck. But when you got a guy like Jacob Truba, who is basically Nicholas Cronwall 2.0 in terms of, you know, known for, for destroying players and, and, and really hard hitting, you got to keep your head up. And I'm surprised that a player like Sidney Crosby, a Hall, future Hall of Famer, uh, uh, is having his head down in this play. But I understand, you know, Kreider chipped the puck, and he grabbed it put it back on the ice trying to control it. But look at Jacob Truba's arms. Okay, so, and his head is down. That is so important. His head is down. In hockey, if your head is down and you make contact with it and you keep your elbow in and you make con- and you you make initial contact with the shoulder, shoulder. that's a legal hit. Yeah. That is that is the rules. That's a legal hit. And a lot of times it looks like Jacob Truba is hitting them in the in the head. Because he, their head also is down. Lift his he, feet. he catches their head down. He also lifts their feet. He keeps his feet down. All right. And he hits them. And I know the Penguins commentary team is like, oh, this is dirty because they're Penguins fans. Meanwhile, the NHL protects them like it's nothing. But this is another angle from it. Oh, wait, no, this is not. Oh, that so that's was a it. Hit. So that's a hit on Fox. So we're just going through it here. Here it is. So here it is. So. Look, he says skates are on the ice. Crosby head and is he even, down. And he even kind of like ducks down a little bit to kind of be even this with his shoulder. This is shoulder to shoulder. Yes. Textbook hit. And Crosby is in a really bad position for himself. And that's why his head gets hit. Because of well, the force. The force on the shoulder the bounced on, back Yes, but the initial contact was with is the with shoulder. the shoulder. Yes, exactly. And that's why like when I see people calling out Jacob Truba, it pisses me well, off. Well, they did on Sunday good, too because he had a hit. They said... Player. He, there was a hit on Sunday when he. They said uh, people were complaining because he. I forgot who it was. Oh, they said he like need. I'm like, come let's on, look nobody. The, let's look at that too. Let's look at that too. Okay? There it is. Because yeah. you want to talk about knee? Well, I'll pull up something that that really shows Fox. the knee. That really does. All right. So, this is Truba, and shoulder to shoulder, and he got he because he catches players with their head down. And that's that's, that's where he, don't he like. strikes. Yeah. Okay, but keep your head up. In hockey, they teach you to keep your head up. That's happened to me as well. I've gotten destroyed because your head was head down because yeah. my head is down looking at the puck. You, but it's you, legal doesn't mean it, it's not it's, legal. It's, but it's legal if your head is down and you keep your sh- your elbow in and you make contact shoulder to shoulder and the whiplash of the hit gets your head. That's a legal hit. You gotta keep your head up. That is what they teach you when you're like a young five-year-old playing mites, yeah. right? Like this, that's like this is basic level stuff here. And yeah, I get the game, like the motions of the game. Sometimes, you know, you, you don't keep your head up, but this is what happens. But look at the initial contact. That's shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, and he yes. gets tangled there. Well, but that's shoulder was to shoulder. Stuck out, now l- let's look at this hit that took out Adam Fox and the reason why he's injured right now. So I, I just I can just say this I love that we're doing what the NHL can't, and that's looking on a on a screen and actually analyzing the play. And I get it; people are gonna say, "Oh, we're biased, Ranger fans." No, if a range if Jacob Truba was a dirty player, I wouldn't want him on my team. Okay, I'm I'm like I don't want I don't want to see this shit in the game at all. But 
there's a difference between what Jacob Truba does, which he's a hard-hitting player. He gets players when their head's down. They're not paying attention. Someone like Tom Wilson who, who punches down you know, exactly. a defenseless player. Tom Wilson, too. That guy should not even be in the league. He's a disgrace. For, for what? The, the fact that he's not even getting a suspension for what he did two years ago. I mean, that blows Disgusting. my mind. And then you Typing saw the like shit show that happened the, the next game. Yeah. The next game. I'm pretty sure it was the very next day. Like, that this It's just complete failure from the NHL. And so, let's look at the Sebastian Ajo play. And we have to see a better angle, but it could look... But you could see uh, people saying, oh, Fox leaned his knee. Literally, you could. Fox had his eye on the puck, and he... Tries to escape Aho. He mo- tries to move out of the way because he sees Aho's coming. Aho does not even move. He, he doesn't keeps even his, move. He keeps his keeps knee his there because he knows what Fox is trying to do. Fox is trying to escape and but go look to at his, his left. Body language. Look, look at him. Yeah. He, he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing because as soon as Fox moves a little bit to the left, the knees are going to make contact and Fox is going to go to the ice, and that's exactly what happened. While Fox is obviously trying to curl to move to the left, Ajo is standing up straight, and he's immobile because, I mean, you could just see it. And that's when the contact makes, you know, when he makes contact with Fox's knee, and now Fox is out with a knee injury. Hopefully we'll be back at the end of the month, but right now, you know, he's still recovering. Yeah. And this is the stuff that the NHL has to get rid of. And I don't even think did Otto didn't even get a penalty mm, for this, right? No, he didn't. It's just unbelievable because they said accidental contact. Because he, you know what? I gotta give him. You know, I'm a movie guy. I gotta give Otto credit. He sold it really well. Yeah, that's the only credit I gotta give. But otherwise, it's a dirty play. It's a there's a difference between this a shoulder to shoulder, a shoulder to shoulder hit that was you know got a little bit tangled up. Yeah, it's it's one thing. It's one thing if Ajo's going in, you know, to put a hit on Fox, even though uh, he's not going to because it'd be an an interference penalty because Fox doesn't have the puck, so it doesn't matter. But he literally does not move, and you know, you know what's going to happen when some. You know, as a player, you see another player there. You're stand. Why is he standing still? He's trying to cause something. Fox doesn't want the contact because he knows they might call interference because Fox is skating forward. I think Aho was trying to force a penalty on Fox. Honestly, I think he was trying to force an interference, mm-hmm. and Fox did not want that to happen. So you can see him take a skate and move to the left to get out of the way, and he's just like this. Oh, and you know, and boom, the knees collide, and there you go. So that is on his. That's, man, a, that's a dirt. That's a too. very dangerous hit. It's so dangerous because he could take out his why, knee. And thank God, that's why Fox is out for almost a month. Yeah, because of this, and, and this could be completely preventable. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't been happy with the way the NHL runs itself for a very long time, and it, and it sucks because this that these people and the the boys club, the good old boys club, is in charge of the game that I that that I love, that we love. Uh, hockey is such a beautiful, wonderful, amazing game. And I just wish that it was given the respect that it deserves, where this stuff is eliminated, where where this stuff, this stuff is eliminated from Oh, the yeah. Game. I know, exactly. Where dirty nonsense, where the bullshit is taken away from the game completely. And the fact that we what we just did is what Toronto is hired to do. The NHL replay room. Well, t- Toronto is, is just there to, you know, press the button and screw the Rangers. That's all Toronto's there. I mean, they literally how many I wonder how many exact minutes was that review that they at you know, they they literally were literally trying to find an explanation they of were trying how to, find to not call it a goal. 
Oh, well, there was the intent to blow the whistle. Give me a break. Intent to blow the whistle. Intent to blow the whistle. The intent to blow the whistle. Get out of here. The puck was already in the net by the time Kako went there and tried to, you know, try to get a stick on it because that's what you're taught as a player. You go to the net and you try to stiff your stick in there and force it in. Okay, intent to blow the whistle, my ass. The puck was already in the net. And that was, but like I said, and this. This kind of stuff happens to the Rangers consistently year after year. You know, you can say all you want, but the facts are the facts. I mean, we've been going through this kind of stuff for a long time. And Toronto just, for some reason, has something against the Rangers. Batman too. You know, so screw them all. And just, that's why I just say, you know, play as a team together. And that's why we still came back. We still came back. Dominated the third. And were able to finish off, tie the game, and then beautiful uh, shootout goal by Laugh. Great game, two goals, and then the shootout winner. Amazing, you know, his confidence is high right now. I would love to see him score um, in our next game. Yeah, we'll talk about Laugh now. Our next game, Saturday against the Devils, will be there. Yes, going to be a big, big big group. It's going to be a lot of people uh, there. Definitely uh, go live because on Minnesota, I was so tired that day. Uh, Oh, it was a long day. We got to go live on on that because we're bringing a whole crew. We're bringing like 10 people, right? Yeah, I have. I know my my brother wants to come, my brother's friend. uh, I have a couple friends, I think, that are going to, other friends that are going to be coming. So it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of us. Hopefully, I expect to be a good amount of blue in the stands as well with the Rangers playing so well. There's a lot of tickets available on resale. Usually, people wait till like the day of. Like, that's what we're going to do because tickets right now yeah, a little expensive. expensive yeah. But, you know, kind of like we're what I played. We're students. You know, we got we to gotta, we gotta figure stuff out. Exactly. Let's just say, let's just, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't want to be negative because the Rangers have been playing so well. And it's just, I think it's because, you know, we used to play. I think this is why stuff like this annoys me because, and, and why it makes me so angry because I don't want guys' careers to get to be in jeopardy, guys' lives to be in jeopardy yeah. because of the Stupidity. nonsense and stuff that could be prevented. And something that okay. we, you know, speaking that's of lives so being, I know, but speaking of yeah. lives being in jeopardy, uh, Matt Peckrave, the incident you you heard about that the incident uh, with the Adam Johnson getting his throat yes. Tip. Yes, he's um, been arrested. I do want to say a few things about uh, Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, I actually wrote an article for the Hockey Writers. Um, I have my own issues with them, but I did write an article saying that you got to, we have to, the, basically the Rangers have to be patient with Lafreniere, and it looks like it's being a pretty hot. When did you write that? I, I wrote it last February. Oh, okay. In February twenty-three, and Alexi Lafreniere right now, listen. Well, he never is was he really given like a chance. No. no, he's not. He would never was Bedard. But he is playing like a top six winger right now, and that's what the Rangers need. They need the homegrown guys to play like what they were drafted. And right now, Lafreniere, I mean, it helps that he's playing with Panarin. Ryan Strom also put up career numbers with Panarin. But Panarin's a world-class player, and the Rangers are very fortunate to have a player like him. he makes everybody better around him. And you you got to take advantage of that. You have a you have a kid that you know is early twenties. He's looking for some confidence. So put him on put him with the best player on the ice. That plus the best forward that you have. It, like I don't understand why the Rangers and why why Gallant didn't do that last year and why the Rangers didn't think of that sooner. But but look, he's he's, he's a much more confident player in his in his abilities and and he. He just looks faster. He looks quicker. Because a lot of times, like the past few years, a lot of people have criticized his skating, and he just he, he looks sluggish. He looks like he is a step behind everybody. This year, he he looks like he's 
adjusted to the NHL level, finally. Because and he's got that confidence he's got now, that too. Confidence and he's swagger. got that little swagger. And that exactly. shootout goal was beautiful. Oh, I, that, that, I, I just keep look, watching it over and over again. I know. It's you're so like, nice. where's this Lafreniere been, you know, the past yeah. couple of years? That's that's a top player. That's a top, you that's know. That's a number one overall pick. Exactly. What we saw on Sunday night, that's the number one pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. That's a guy that you're going to build around for years to come. And I want to see I want to see that now on Sunday. It's got to be consistent. Saturday That's the thing. is the biggest test that the Rangers have faced so far. I get it. Jack Hughes, he's, he's injured. He might be coming back. I think he is. Of course he is. And, but he has he's, to be he's back still for not going to be at 100%. Game, you know? He's still not going to be at 100%. Uh, this is the huge test for this The team. Rangers should start off. They should. They start need to off, start off quick. Be they physical, too. They need to make too. no mistakes. They can't pull the shit for like the last game that we were at, which was the the constant penalties that kill momentum. Yeah, that's they need to really play killed us. Quick, clean hockey, clean hockey yeah. and the way that they've been playing, the way that they played Sunday. Yep, that's what they need to do. And uh, hopefully the refs don't test. try to screw us yeah. as usual. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about the game uh, on to next Tuesday, next episode, and we hope that it's the Rangers win because this is the biggest test for this team is facing the demons in in New Jersey, mm-hmm. facing uh, those those. Those long, those those long-awaited uh, ghosts uh, from from the Devils. Like yes. this is the this is what's haunted them the whole off season. Is they couldn't beat New Jersey. They couldn't get past New Jersey. This is their chance to say, "Hey, we're here, and you're one off, right? You guys just you guys got lucky last year, and we're gonna kick your ass." That's the mindset that the players have. To they have to have that, right? So moving on to the NFL, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's not much I could say. Uh, we have uh, we have Joe Pesci from Goodfellas, Tommy DeVito, uh, starting <laughs> for us at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, listen, at least he was able to throw a couple touchdowns at least he threw on a touch- Sunday. Honestly, you know, a lot, I fear a lot of Giants fans say, oh, if Daniel Jones were here, it would have been better. They lost 40 nothing with him starting. <laughs> So no, it no the Cowboys were always putting up the points against the Giants. Um, the Cowboys are yeah. when they're on their wagon offensively and defensively, they can you know they can really beat anybody. Not much I could say. The Giants are a train wreck. I actually hope they lose out for the rest of the season. There's no point in winning another game. And there was a report that came out that mm-hmm. the Giants might not pick a QB if they have the number one or number two pick. Really? If 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 they don't if Daniel Jones. Okay, if Daniel Jones is If that's the case, then they should trade down so then they at least have a couple first-round picks and they could tra- if, they can get what Daniel they need Jones and a quarterback. because it, is it, the starting quarterback no, next year. I'm not watching a single game. And you can quote me on this. I'm not watching a single game. I, I cannot watch that guy throw another pass for the Giants. Unless, so, unless he comes back next year and whether Caleb Williams or Drake May gets hurt. I can't do it. I can't. I, they, they, Would you give him a chance that they rebuilt the O-line? No. He's not good. I'm tired of Giants fans giving excuse for this guy. He sucks. He is not good. That's why the contract was structured the way it is. Yeah, it's four. It's it's a four-year contract, but really it's two years because they can get out of out it of after it. next yeah, year. That's what's gonna... that, that's, that's, you know, I, I like Joe Shane and I trust him, but you got to let him cook. And I, my problem is not with Joe Shane and Brian Dable. It's with John Mara. He's got he's to step away and let these guys do their jobs, for Christ's sakes. I, I, like it's just if he that would be the most Giants thing ever if Daniel Jones is the QB next year. I mean, oh my God, uh, like that would break me. And you know, I've been a Giants fan. I I've, I lived through 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. Last year's game against the Eagles. 
and the loss in Green Bay in 16, and now this year, uh, what would hit my limit is if Daniel Jones, if we don't get a QB. We don't, then last year would be like the biggest curse ever. Yeah. It really would. So, yeah, I don't have much to say. We had Joe Pesci from Goodfellas start a QB, Tommy DeVito, funny how. <laughs> funny. <laughs> this game was not funny at all. Was not mm-hmm. wasn't really funny. Uh, I guess it was good to to see Tommy DeVito's parents in attendance. That was pretty cool, and it, it's it was funny to hear that his mom still makes some chicken cutlets. Oh, that was that funny. was the best part. Oh, yeah, of we can the talk week. a little bit quickly about that. I mean, listen, I give him the credit. I mean, I don't I don't know people seeing complaining. Oh, he should get his own place. Listen, he grew up in New Jersey, undrafted. He was signed. He's not making. I mean, he got maybe like a little bonus or the fact that he started. He probably got. But come on, like, he's 25 years old. He literally is lives 10 minutes away from the facility. Why should he get a Why place? Exactly. And it, Why? that's not a bad strategy nowadays of living with your parents, but still Especially with and inflation and, and the amount of money. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess people are, like, coming out there saying, well, okay, fine, you can live with your parents, but at least make your bed or stuff like that. Well, okay, listen, that could be another. I think maybe he's just exaggerating, just staying for the fact, like, you know, listen, I'm sure his parents are happy he's still. I mean, you know, as especially as Italians, Italian Americans. It's a big thing um, where parents, you know, they can't get rid of their kids. Yes. And in Italy, it it's in Italy, in Italy, it's actually really a problem. They're called like mamone. It's like like the the kids like leech off their parents and they don't leave at all. So that's where I get to that point. If you're like that 40 point. years old, and I saw like a like an article, like a lawsuit, like that a mother like put did a lawsuit against her son because he was like or their sons because she's like taking. She's take she's paying has to pay for everything and they're like they're living there That's even though they're working right. like that kind of stuff disgusting but this is completely different he's twenty five he's twenty five years, years old in this day and age yeah. what we're going through life's expensive it's one thing if he's you know if he's a starting quarterback you know he can get his own place but he's literally play, he can drive ten minutes and he's at MetLife like come on. I'm not yeah. gonna blame the People kid. And he comes home, everything. gets some nice home cooked chicken cutlets. I mean, any anybody who grew up Italian, grew up Italian American, you know, you, you we know that culture, that lifestyle. If anybody else is criticizing, you know, then that's themselves. unfortunate for you that you didn't grow up in they a household with a family. That's my that's my opinion. That you know grew up in that kind of culture. You know, obviously uh, we're Italian, we're biased, and you know, we think we have the best culture. I mean, it's not even that biased. It, it definitely is up there. Our culture is. You know, great amazing. growing up. So, yeah, it, just being in that kind of environment is amazing. So, but it, so that I, I can't, I'm not I can't criticize the kid. You know, no. Listen, it's not Tommy DeVito's fault. He was undrafted out of Illinois. I mean, this kid, he's not. And, and listen, did he, I, it's I, a did, great did, story. Did he grow up a Giants fan or a Jets fan? Like, I don't, I don't know. No, nobody's ever like. No one's really know. I mean, <laughs> I feel good for him. You know, he's, you're maybe starting, that means he's probably rooted for some yeah. other team growing up. He's an undrafted free agent. Yeah, why? coming from New Jersey, he lives right near MetLife, uh, and it's an awesome story. But I'm sorry, the Giants got a they they, they <laughs> should have had uh, like Another he should backup. not be the third string quarterback. He's not an NFL quarterback, and it sucks to say because he's Italian. He, he grew up in New Jersey. He's probably, I mean, we don't know a Jets or a Giants fan. It's pretty cool. But, I mean, come on. I, I don't want to talk about the Giants. Once again, there's nothing really much I more I can add. The Giants are pathetic. Um, I hate them right now. And, yeah, that's really all I could say. And that if Daniel, and I'm making a declaration right now, if Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback next year, I, I'm not watching a single game, and you'll not hear about them at all on the show. Daniel, That's fair. like, because like, the same, the same stuff's just gonna happen over and over again. Like, you have this is one of the best QB classes probably since twenty eighteen. 
It could all just be a bluff. Who knows? I mean, we we won't really find out won't until. Find out, but I, 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 that's the thing. I'm, I might get nervous because I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that they would do that. Yeah, that would be a problematic. Me, bro. Third but, disaster. Funny how is starting get QB and yeah, Joe Pesci. Got Joe Pesci going over here. My God. <laughs> oh God. So I know the Jets have been struggling too. I mean, they're not a dumpster fire like my Giants, but it's getting it's getting closer it's, to that it's, at this I know, point. I, I know mean, it's getting it's getting to a breaking point with the yeah, Jets. Yeah, I mean, I I, I want to go in another round like I did last week, but I mean, I'm, I got some positive vibes with the Rangers and you know trying to have some hope with some some other of our teams. So I'm not gonna go as crazy as I did last week, even though I really wanted to. I really would like to, because it's an embarrassment. Last week, I mean, sun, last last week Sunday Sunday's performance in Vegas was an outright embarrassment because this is now 11 straight quarters without a touchdown. You can't tell me an NFL franchise cannot go out there and score a touchdown. I don't care. Okay, we got penalties. This, you know, that's the big thing. Penalties have been killing this team now for weeks. Since week three, they haven't had a game with under seven penalties. Like, how are you going to win? Get, like, a team that already had struggles because we lost our top quarterback. We had to bring in Zach Wilson, even though we should have had another backup plan. Look at what Josh Jobs is doing. Zach Wilson has five touchdowns all year. Josh Dobbs has five touchdowns in two games. He didn't even know the playbook yeah. in the first game with the Vikings. He just came in there, and he freaking led them to a comeback win against the Falcons. Josh Dobbs, what an incredible story. And it's it's unbelievable. That's the stuff you like to see. That's what I, mean. I don't understand why the Jets. We can't even run into that. Like we can't sign somebody, and then they just like it's a great story, and they like leading. I mean, the last one was Fitzpatrick that happened, and he led us, and he had one of the best quarterback seasons for a Jet quarterback ever. And of course, just in Jets fashion, they had to end up choking in the last game of the year to the Buffalo Bills, who had no business winning because they were just a mid team that year. And of course, it had to be Rex Ryan beating us, and it. <sighs> I, just going back to that game because it's like ever since then it's just it's just been constant constant pain and constant disaster, you know. Coaching staff wise, our coaches, you know, freaking Adam Gase has been was a disgrace, and then off our OCs, you know, with uh, Lafleur and just everything. Now with Nathaniel Hackett, who was a disgrace last year, the Broncos. We saw last year how terrible their offense was. And the only reason we got him was for Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, Rodgers, obviously, a big reason he said he was came here was because of Hackett. But the thing is, he was here because of Rodgers, okay? But now, of course, with our luck, Rodgers goes down not even a couple plays into the game and his career with the Jets. And Zach Wilson, because we had no backup plan, he, he's got to coach him. And Hackett's not a good coach as is. We know he sucks. We saw last year. Denver. Aaron Rodgers doesn't yeah. need Nathaniel Hackett. He, he, okay, he liked him as a person. You know, they like had a good Adam relationship. They, literally. And that's the only reason we got him, just because that he was buddy-buddies with him. And see, that's the kind of stuff I don't like. like you know, the whole roster the was kind of built club. around, you know, Dan Rogers, like, I love that he was able to come here, but I wish, you know, he would have had, like, a better mentality. Like, I want the best players. I don't want, just because this guy's my friend, oh, I like this guy, bring him here. Because now it's setting us back. It set us back a whole year. With Even without Rogers, this team should still make the playoffs. If we came into the offseason and got another receiver, not Alan Lazard, the guy that can't catch a freaking beach ball, and that he has got no speed whatsoever. There was one play against the Raiders where, you know, I mean, maybe Zach Wilson threw, overthrew the ball a little bit, but you have some guy, a receiver that actually has some speed and some drive. He can break that, you know, defender, and he should have been able to, and he gave up on it way too early on the throw. He should have been able to catch that, even if Zach Wilson, you know, toned the throw down a little bit. 
He shouldn't have been signed. Randall Cobb should not have been signed. Hackett should not have been brought in as the OC after the disaster that happened. And we try to validate it. Oh, well, you know, it's Rodgers. Because no, none of us thought that Rodgers was going to go down yeah, this quick. That was and so, a freak accident, too. It was. Just, that's just the Jets' luck for yeah. you. But Hackett, I mean, Rodgers would be calling his own plays. I think he even literally, like, admitted in the Pat McAfee show, like, you know, if he was told to play he didn't like, he would just do his own thing. He can do that, but Zach Wilson is not going to do that, unfortunately. That's why I wish Rodgers would be able to give Rodgers the headset, let him call something, let him call for Zach, because I feel like they can establish a relationship with each other. Just every time the camera shows Nathaniel Hackett on TV, I I start screaming and I, I curse him out because I, I can't stand to look at his friggin' ugly fucking face. He's awful. No touchdown in 11 games, and the only touchdown was a checkdown throughout a Brees Hall that he ran for 50 yards, and was technically a 50-yard pass from Zach Wilson. It was a freaking two five-yard, put a five-yard throw, and Brees Hall ran the rest of the way. And we're not even utilizing Brees. He's freaking a Brees Hall who's got so much talent. He should be so much better than he has this year. He's got two touchdowns. Yeah, I don't understand why the Jets like don't become a run-first team. Well, th- because their run plays are awful. On a third down, they ran. A, they there was one run. I don't know. They on a third down, they're running the ball right up the middle. Everybody knows what's going to happen. There's no creativity. No, well, let's go to the outside. Maybe there's no. We're going to run right up the middle on a friggin' third and two or whatever, and we don't even get the first down. Like stuff like that. Like, come on. It, it, it's the same crap over and over. He's atrocious, and they're not going to change anything because we're at this stage of the season. But at the same time, the Bills just fired their offensive coordinator. The Bills are a train wreck right now, Bills maybe even more wreck. so than us because everything is wrong with them. At least we have our defense that's kind of holding us back. And, of course, now we play the Bills next week in Buffalo, and that would be a huge test because technically the Jets are kind of still in it, even though I don't believe they are. Just on paper, and we say this every year, it's like, oh, maybe if they just win this game and then they win that game and this team loses, oh, they can still be in it. And then they, time and time again, they prove us, they prove to us that they're the same old Jets and they're not going to f- change. So at this point, why should I have faith in them? But if they were to beat the Bills and I mean, yeah, and the Dolphins were to lose to the Raiders, well, the Black Friday game, the Jets and Dolphins will be playing for first place. Imagine that. Like, I mean, listen, if you're listening, God, I would love for that to happen, you know, for the Jets to have a turnaround this season. It's just it's not going to happen because this just, the offense is so bad, and Nathaniel Hackett calling plays, he's not going to change. He sucks. There's no, they have, we have no red zone offense. They, when they they can't they rarely I mean against the Raiders Wilson the total offense I think was over 300 yards because he was rushing which is good I want to see more I want to see more Zach Wilson rushes use his legs because there was many videos with guys just completely not even open at all I mean and that and there was one where he ran like five yards just short of the first down because nobody was open I'm like but it's like the the, the blame the blame gets to go shared around between everybody. But it's unacceptable regardless that we can't even get a single touchdown in this two full games, almost three because they got the first one early against the Giants in the first quarter, and then again with the rest of the game. I mean, it's unacceptable that a professional football team is incapable of scoring touchdowns. And this has been a Jets problem for years now. Changing offensive coordinators, head coaches, all this, new players. It's just unacceptable. And as Jets fans, we don't deserve this because going the week after week knowing that you're like not going to put up, put up a fight offensively, it, it hurts my stomach. It makes me feel sick. Um, 
and it's something that it's got to change. And the players keep saying, uh, you know, they say, oh, we don't want to hear from the media. You know, it's the same stuff. But like something's got to change. It's kind of like how we were going with the Mets, where it's like the players it's and we kept talking about yeah. the same stuff. Like, oh, we know we got to do this. We got to oh, be better. Know, yeah. Nothing changed. I just, just show me. Just do something. Like I don't. I mean, it's easy to say. You're like, oh, just do it. But like, I don't understand because other teams seem to figure it out. But why is it like that? You just cannot put it together. Like, something's got to give because guys are dropping balls. Guys are freaking taking stupid penalties. C.G. Uzama should have been cut. The Jets made a move, a couple moves today. They cut um, running back Michael Carter, which, I mean, he was a great guy in the, in the clubhouse, you know. But at this point, like, something has to change. He got charged for a chop-blocking penalty, um, and that set us back um, it, when we were, in, you know, pushing down the field to score some points. And that hurt us. But you got to send a message. Maybe that sends a message because stuff like that is just not going to fly. And now hopefully this gives a chance um, to our first round, not first round, one of our draft picks, uh, Izzy Akanabanda, as a running back, was watching some of his clips. I mean, he's explosive. He's a tall guy. Michael Carter's like two feet tall. The guy, I don't know why they would utilize him on third downs. Um, in in receiving situations, the amount of times that they would do that, they would throw the ball to Michael Carter on third down, and he would drop the ball. The guy was, and then he or or a run on third down, a, ba- a basic simple run up the middle. Like he's just <sighs> so I don't I don't under, I don't understand the Jets play calling. Like what goes through their mind? Because everybody sees the problem, and we see the film, we see what's wrong. Nothing is getting fixed, and that is on Nathaniel Hackett. That is on Robert Sala. Robert Sala is a freaking, you know, a P, you know, he's a freaking. I'm sorry, I I had more faith in him and more hype in him, but he's showing to be really soft and saying, "Oh, Zach Wilson's actually been pretty good." I mean, listen, I'm not gonna put all the blame on Zach Wilson, but he has not been great, you know, since the Chiefs game. But again, I also put a lot of that on Nathaniel Hackett because he's just a disgrace uh, of an offensive coordinator, and. You know, but again, nothing's going to change. They're not going to change a quarterback. Um, again, the players are all there. You got to cut down on the penalties, cut out on the bullshit, give Zach a chance, be creative, let him use his arm, let him use his legs, get open because there's so many certain, certain situations where nobody's getting open. I mean, how you expect him, you know, how are we going to, how do you expect him to throw the ball when there's nobody open? And again, then you also have the the offensive line, which is hurt. On top of that, when you know he's not getting you know the full amount of time on every on every uh, throw, you know to be able to do that. That's why he was getting sacked and this and that. But this, but you know, at the end of the day, every, Zach's got to be better. The O line's got to be better. The offense has got to be better. Um, but we keep saying this week after week, and then we go into Buffalo, which I don't even know the last time we won. Actually, I think the, we did win in Buffalo. Was it twenty eighteen? One of Darnold's last year, they won at the end of the season. Didn't even want them to win, but they had a nice, really play at the end, and they won there. Um, but it's really Buffalo. The Jets don't really win that much in Buffalo. Obviously, the last two years we beat the Bills at home, which was nice. But in Buffalo, you know, we'll see. With the Bills coming off a bad loss against the Broncos, that 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 shit kind of worries me. But we, I still wanted them to lose yesterday because now kind of keeps us in the 
the fight a little bit. But if the players don't want it, if the players don't come out and cut the bullshit, then nothing's going to change and they're going to lose the rest of the season. And it's going to be the same crap that we talk about every year. And Joe Douglas will sit in his freaking ass as usual. Salah. All these guys, since they've came here, I'm sorry, but it's just been losing. Like, I'm sick of it. Jets fans, we are sick of it. All we see every year is losing, losing, losing. We had hype in Douglas. We had hype in Salah. And it's just not cutting it right now. Something's got to give. Something's got to change because we're, I'm, we're done with this bullshit. As Garrett Wilson said too, like he's tired of this. Even though he, you know, say it was taken a little bit out of the context. Listen, we don't blame you. We're tired of it. I know you're tired of it. The whole offense. Everybody's tired of this. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. That's it with the Jets. Yeah, well said. Uh, I feel, and a lot, you know, it's 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 crazy because a lot of what you said just right there is how I feel about my favorite football team. Um, it's just, yeah, something's got to give. Something's got to change. I'm just sick and tired of all the nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really all I could say on that. So you mentioned it before. Um, yes. Obviously, we've talked about on the show at the tragic death of hockey player Adam Johnson. It was just reported today, early afternoon, that the player who did that, his name is Matt Petgrave, yeah. um, and was arrested um, and is being investigated for manslaughter charges. Yes. Wow, that's that's a huge development in the story. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he gets charged and gets sent to jail, or do you think <sighs> like there's just a formality, like they're doing an investigation? Um, that's a good point. I mean, on like the context of like what manslaughter is, I, I not like fully. I, I think it has to do with like the intent and non-intent because it's different from murder. Like if he was charged for murder, like that has there has to be proof to be that that there was a clear intent Ten. to kill. Now I I I don't think he I, I don't think he meant to kill Adam Johnson, but I do think there was rec- negligence and recklessness, recklessness to to lift the skate in the way he did because your skate should not be coming up like no. that in that kind of motion in a kicking motion no matter. What it is, you know, it's it was a dangerous play all around, and with his pedigree, what he's shown, you know, throughout that league of the kind of player he is, he doesn't he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. Now, I mean, I feel bad for the guy in the sense that, like, you know, if, if, this, if this is really if conscience. this is really a true accident, you know, it's going to be in his conscience forever. But at the end of the day, I mean, it just looks clear that. You know, he really tried to do something he really shouldn't be doing. Obviously, he didn't mean to kill the guy, but he did. And the guy has since passed, you know, rest in peace, Adam Johnson, you know, did not deserve that, did not deserve that to happen to him because that kind of stuff should not be accepted in any form of hockey. So, and that's why this type of stuff that we talked about before with Lingren and Fox frustrates yeah, me so much. Exactly. Because the, I feel because like people's these leagues, lives are at risk. Yeah. Because he's, you know, it's not only hockey, uh, dirty hockey play, but it's like these people, these are people, these are human beings and they're, they have families and, and, and you're putting their lives at risk and that's why I feel like these leagues like they don't do enough to protect their own players and the NFL goes overboard but honestly I wouldn't mind seeing the NHL do like not not go full NFL but a little bit just a little bit just to protect their players yeah really like this type of stuff should not be in the game like this should be punished mm-hmm, 100%. And, and I'm pointing right now to the to the uh, the yeah, Ryan Lindgren play but also um, we talked about before. Matt Peckrave should not even been playing in that game. He should yeah. like for what he's done. The league, that league, that Bush league, that bullshit league should have come down on him, and they yeah. didn't. And that's like what frustrated me. This could have been prevented if the, that league was ran by by better people, and it wasn't. 100%. And yeah, you know it's tough. And 
I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that that like that's skate coming up. Like I and, and a lot of people I've seen like on Instagram, it's like, oh, you've never played hockey, and uh, you know that happened. Like that's an accident. I'm like, I've played I played hockey for seven years. I've never seen anything like that. No, me I, I, and I know you played hockey for a long time as well. Have you ever seen anything like no. that before? In Skates your career? can come up, yes, and just and just the way that your your body's turning and you're getting hit, but like. Just, I mean, there was clear like movement of that leg. To, I've like, never push seen through. anything like, like that. No, before. I've never seen it. So, Especially after yeah. he was already, you know, it seemed like he was kind of skipping over the other player on the team, you know, to try to get to Johnson. That's what it looked like. He kind of just like ran into him and then kind of moved over to try to. You really wanted to hit Johnson, and his, he lifted his skate, and you know the rest. You know, we all know what happened. So yeah. So we'll we'll, co- we'll keep con- co- covering the story. Yes. It's, it's just a, it's a tragedy. It's very it upsetting. Is. And I hope that the you know I know what the NHL is going to take away from from this is like oh players should wear neck guards but we're, we're, the real takeaway is that if there are players that show continual behavior of not doing the right thing on the they ice that they need to be removed from the league immediately that's the right takeaway from this yes 100%. Like a guy like Tom I want like I got this is a guy like Tom Wilson. A guy like Tom Wilson should not be playing in the NHL. Dirty a guy like Rafi Torres, that guy, oh my like, God, he, he shouldn't be in the NFL. Too. He's a disgrace. Like they, they, those guys should not in the NFL. Excuse me, the NHL. Those guys should not be in the league. He End of story. Cuss. Who was that in the Blackhawks? 2012. He concussed, or he had a really bad. I, got, I remember against the Ducks, he did he clear he elbow to head like that, and he got suspended for like half player. a season. Yeah. And he, as he should, but the, like not even half a season, he should be suspended for, for a season. He should not be any should not be allowed anywhere near an NHL ice ice surface. Done end the story. Yeah. And player, you won't see players doing that because when you punish, it, they're like it's like children, right? If you punish a child, they're not going to do the action. More likely than not, they're not going to do whatever action that got them punished in the first place again. If you let them go and you just you don't punish them, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to keep doing the thing that they keep doing. Over exactly. and over again. So that's that's my main takeaway from this. Um, yeah, and I, listen, I feel bad for Matt Patgrave. I obviously intend to kill Adam Johnson. That's obvious. But, you know, I come from a family of lawyers, and the legal description of manslaughter, I think, fits this situation, unfortunately. Manslaughter is you kill somebody without the intent to kill, but it's, it's endangerment and recklessness. And he was reckless on the ice. So, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated uh, on this whole situation. It's just crazy to me. It's very upsetting, uh, once again, as former hockey players, to see one of our own uh, die on a nice where, you know, if you're playing the game, you should, you should feel safe. Uh, it shouldn't have to be like this. So, to, for our last group of topics today, uh, I want to talk about a few things going on in the film industry. Um, Chris Stuckman, who's a movie critic that... Uh, I've followed for I've been following for ever since I was eight. I watched his reviews on YouTube, um, and his reviews really got me into film criticism. Uh, he made a video today on why I'm concerned about the film industry, and he said a lot of great things. And I want to me- talk about some of the things he mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. r- right now, the Marvels is the latest Marvel film. <laughs> I for- someone made a comment about like. About the three leads, uh, oh. just like how it's like a. I think someone said it's like a, a vanilla chocolate cookie or something. Oh my it's just god! Just like it's like I don't know. I I didn't say that. I'm just quoting somebody. 
I, it's a joke, obviously. I thought it was just really funny. Uh, but the, all, like, the main point of this, though, is that the Marvels right now uh, is just not doing well at all. Uh, it, it's the new low for the MCU box office. Uh, it opened to just $47 million. And Oof. that's, for a Marvel movie, that's bad. That's bad. And, and it's just because people have become apathetic uh, towards the MCU. Um, the MCU has just been oversaturated with content. You gotta, like, to, just to understand this movie, and I, and listen, in all seriousness, that was obviously just a joke, uh, and I didn't make that joke. I'm quoting, I'm quoting a YouTuber, Jody's Corner, who made that joke. And I don't know if that was the exact joke that he made, uh, but I thought it was, like, it was pretty funny. But for the main leads themselves, uh, I, I'm not, you know, Brie Larson, and a lot of people don't like her. I like her. I think she's pretty hot, if, you know, if you're asking me. Uh, Amon Vellani, I, I, I've seen clips of Miss Marvel, and it seems like she fits the comic uh, pretty well, comic book character pretty well. Uh, and Monica Rambo, she's just whatever. Uh, I, I watched WandaVision. That's one like one of the only Disney Plus shows I've watched, and she's okay. But I just don't think these three, like, Brie Larson, you know, I think she's a great actress, but she's not really given a lot to do in this in the in her movies. Uh, so, um, that being said, the Marvels right now is a huge failure for Marvel, and that's not really good for the film industry because Marvel movies have really been the the franchise that has kept theaters afloat. And now, if people aren't going to see the big tentpole Marvel movies, what are they going to see? They're not going to go out and see. Napoleon. They're not going to go out and see Ferrari. They're not going to go out and see The Killer by David Fincher. So this is, it's a little concerning for me. And I wasn't going to, and I, listen, I'm not going to lie, I'm one of the culprits. I wasn't going to go see the Marvels. I was going to wait for <laughs> it to come out on streaming because I have to watch all this extra stuff just to understand an hour and 45 minute movie. And the MCU has gone to a point where I'm not going to watch all this mediocre stuff just to understand a movie mm-hmm. and that's the point where we're at right now uh and in the industry i mean the industry right now is in a very tough place actually um right today i sp- splurged at best buy I spent 60 dollars. i got six 4k movies for 60 bucks oh wow uh, because they had a, sa- a fire sale they're just getting rid of everything they're selling 4k movies for as low as like five bucks and that's unbelievable to me and it's just sad. Like, I feel like people don't respect movies anymore, and they just see it as content. We talked about it last week, and it's really it's upsetting to me. And another person that thinks that, like, a person that thinks like that is Warner Brothers CEO David Zaslav, where this is the second time he's done this. So what he did mm-hmm. was there, there's this movie called Coyote vs. Acme. It's supposed to be like a, a live-action animation hybrid uh, Looney Tunes uh, film. And... The movie was completed, it was edited, it was scored, it was voice acted, it was done. Like, ready to be test screened. And he basically said, nah, we're just going to scrap it for a tax write-off. Can you imagine, in in anything, working on a project, you worked your ass off, you dedicate your life to it for Mm -hmm. a year or two. And and someone just, and, and this asshole, CEO, rich bum... Just comes in and is like, nah, we're going to get rid of it. Just throw in the garbage because I want a tax write-off. I don't want to have to pay the federal government. And 
there's been an update in the story that Warner Brothers is al- is allowing the filmmakers of of Coyote versus Acme to go out and pitch it to other studios like Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. But the fact that the it took such a big public backlash for some like this, like for them to to wise up, is concerning for me. I mean, this is what I want to do, and it's like. What if I sign? What if I do sign with Warner Brothers? I do a project and they decide to scrap it, and like all the hard work and the passion that I put into a project is just gone. Gone. Yeah. It's in the garbage, and it's just the principle too. And they did it before. They did what they there was supposed to be. There was supposed to be a Batgirl film that that was on at the time HBO Max, and they just got rid of it for a tax write off. This is concerning to me, to where these these people can just they can just get rid of stuff as they see fit. And that's what worries me a lot. And the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, we talked about this too. Best Buy getting rid of physical media. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that sucks for me because I'm a big physical media guy. But also, it's just a, a growing attitude that I am worried about and that Chris Stuckman uh, beautifully explained about in his video that he's also concerned about is that film right now, it, it's in a very tough spot to where it's being looked at as nothing more than something to put on your TV when you're doing work. And it's not as a beautiful, the beautiful art form that, that it is. And, and obviously, look, there are movies that you could just put on and shows that you could just put on in background noise. When I'm like, really exhausted or I'm doing work, sometimes I put a SpongeBob episode in the back on in the background, not only because I've seen all of them, because that's something that, you know, that's a good background noise. It reminds me of my childhood. Mm-hmm. It puts me in a good mood. It makes me energetic to get work done. Right, fair, but film as an art form and television shows like Attack on Titan and Breaking Bad—that's art. Those are people that put their heart and soul into something, and whether you're a film guy or not, it's concerning that the the, the overall corporatization and the overall uh, content-based thinking, and not as an art-based thinking, is concerning in in this industry. And I think just in America, in our money. culture, exactly, and just in our culture in general. And we talked about last week uh, with Yavi and about the music industry. Yeah, is that it's in the same thing. And I hope as we as a society wises up and like, listen, if if you're gonna go see Killers of the Flower Moon, I've said it over and over again. Please go see Killers of the Flower Moon in theaters. Show the studios that you want to see film and not content fillers. Like the Five Nights at Freddy's is a horrible movie. I, I saw in theaters. Speaking bank, they're going to make more Five Nights at Freddy's. You have to vote with your wallets. Yeah. If you complain all the time, why don't we get movies like this anymore? Why don't they make movies like the Godfather trilogy? Why don't they make movies like Goodfellas anymore? Why don't they make movies like this? Blah, blah, blah. Because you don't go out and see them. But then mm-hmm. you just say, oh, I'll wait for it to, because I watch everything at home. I'll wait for it to come out on streaming. Well, that's not. Well, the... that's, they're not going to make any more. Exactly. Of them. They're not going to make any more of them. The whole point is you need to go out there and watch it and support to show because, okay, watching it at home, I mean, that doesn't, that that's that's different. It doesn't matter. subscribed to their service already. That's all they look at. Exactly. They don't give a shit how, if you, what you watch, is if you're subscribed or not. That's, mm-hmm. if you that's paid the, the money thing. for the subscription, that's the stat that matters to these production studios who have all these different streaming services. Yes. So, yeah, it's concerning for me. Uh, the Marvels, I wasn't going to see any, I mean, because I'm also checked out of the MCU. Uh, She-Hulk kind of did that to me really did that to me. Uh, I watched every episode of that series. God help me. 
<laughs> but that that series really was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And then Ant Man Quantum Mania was just oh god, like it was even that just some like buried it even more for me. Uh, but it's still like it sucks. It really does. And Barbenheimer and I hated the Barbie movie, but I, I'm I'm still happy to see that it made money because it still shows that like people are willing to go out and have fun and go to the movies. And the fact that Oppenheimer made almost a billion dollars is a tremendous accomplishment. But also Christopher Nolan is Christopher Nolan. He's a yeah. he's a big name filmmaker. Everyone knows him for Inception, The Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar. Like he's not a, he's not an indie director. This guy is a big blockbuster director and I love Christopher doing. Nolan. But he's a recognizable name. I'm talking about going out and supporting mid-budget movies. And movies that they would make in the 90s and the 2000s. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I want to see. And I hope that the filmmakers of Coyote vs. Acme, they find another distributor, and it makes a lot of money, and it, it gives them, and they give them a giant middle finger to Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we had a loaded show today. Uh, thank did. you guys for listening. Um, we, even though we had some technical difficulties with the microphones and the board, uh, we apologize uh, for for those instances, um, even though yes. in in the recorded version you won't hear it. Uh, if you listen live, you 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 were with us every step of the way. Thank so, you all. Yeah, any anyway, guys, uh, that's gonna do it for today, and we'll see you all next week. Take care, everyone.